Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. If you're just now joining us, we recommend beginning your journey with episode one. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. There may not be a more anticipated game in the history of the Zelda series than 2006's Twilight Princess. Although Ocarina of Time engendered excitement up to its release, its masterpiece status would lift the series to even greater heights. With it came a tangible goal, Ocarina but bigger. Despite the achievements of Majora's Mask and Wind Waker, it wasn't enough. Fans were still waiting for a wish to come true. In that sense, Twilight Princess was the game Zelda fans, especially those in the West, had been dreaming of for a decade. This excitement for the future of the series would reach a fever pitch at the game's famous reveal during E3 2004. After many years of frustration, fans felt like Nintendo was finally listening to them. But that fever would begin to come down when two years later, Nintendo dropped another E3 bombshell. Its next console would be focused on motion controls, and Twilight Princess would be a shining example. That its GameCube release and subsequent HD remake eschewed motion controls helped to insulate Twilight Princess from the scorn of the Wii era. At the time, however, the game landed with a thud. The GameCube version was hampered by a later release date and lack of widescreen support compared to the Wii. Meanwhile, the Wii version was almost impossible to play due to the scarcity of the system. Between delays, console releases, and the game's own excessive intro, a sort of exhaustion began to creep in. Twilight Princess would go on to garner a split reputation, loved by many, especially those who came to the series in the GameCube era, and derided by many as a tired retread. Been there, done that. As the years have worn on, it has been easy to forget just how singular Twilight Princess is. Its choices, especially with regard to the Twilight Realm, are boldly strange. It lifted Zelda dungeons to new heights of inventiveness. And yet there was this strange feeling that despite the green hat, the Triforce, the familiar sights, that it had started to not seem like Zelda at all. All right, Kyler. So after I kind of, <laughs> I don't know, I hate to say I've like kind of roasted Twilight Princess more than any other game in the intro... <laughs> Uh, how do we like the game? Well. Or maybe it's rather that we should just disclose our biases toward the game. Yeah, well, yeah, I was just thinking about my own history because if there's any game that I have like a richer history with, I mean, in a sense, yeah, we started on Ocarina, um, but Twilight Princess is the game that by the time I had been introduced to it, well, I was, must have been, yeah, I was 15. Oh my gosh, that's weird. Yeah, no, I was, what, like 10? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not true, because you're 15. Yeah, it's only three years old, three and a half. 2006, I was 11 years old. Okay, yeah. In November of 2006, I was 11. Yeah, well, that, yeah, so I think with Twilight Princess, that was around the time that I was browsing, you know, gaming forums, as any good teenager who likes video games would do, and it's a great phase of your life, and that it's really not, and you have these really terrible biases that you carry and will desperately defend anything you love and attack anything you hate vigorously. And that was Twilight Princess for a long time. And something coming into this game, I mean, even just coming in and replaying it this time around, that my interest was just like, okay, I, I'm obviously I'm not like being far removed from it this time and also having a couple more games ahead of it helps a lot. It just helps to know where things are going. But at the time I used to really... Well, initially... Well, now we know that there's hope, but... When, yeah. Like, the direction that this game was going, I think it started to feel like, oh, no. 
Yeah, and and we couldn't without knowing was being coming up right after it. It was hard to really know what was being set in set in place. But at the time, at least, I well, I was a teenager, and again, same deal about vigorously defending and fighting everything. Um, it's kind of the same measure with it. But having stepped away from that for well a long time now, um, and being able to parse it out. You know, there's something there's something about our sensibilities as you know when we're younger that we do at least have some reason that we respond to some things a certain way. Sometimes it's completely irrational. And we're like, wait a second, this was always great. But Twilight Princess, I've found more. It's like it doesn't elicit a lot of emotions for me. Morning, I mean, it, some parts definitely do, and for the wrong reasons. But the the whole the best way I could summarize it is it's a solid game that I just feel indifferent about, and I think that's the best way I could put it. But if we broke it down into sections, um, man, I did not. I was like coming in, being like, "Okay, let's just take this level headed." Like the first two hours of the game, I was I was incredibly frustrated. I'm like, "This is unbelievable! Like, this is really this is what we're gonna put ourselves through to start this game. This is ridiculous." <laughs> like, I knew it was not good, but I was like, "Well, I know where to go and everything, so maybe I can just move things along faster." And it's like, no, I clocked in like. When it's said, when people say two hours and when I've said two hours, it is, you will clock in hour and a half to the first, uh, tears of light hour 45 after you're done with that two hours or two hours, 15 minutes by the time you're done with the forest temple, almost guaranteed. It's for- yeah. We did a lot of time. We did. Yeah. Cause you just, <laughs> as you we were playing this game, we'd be like, you know, it was like this many hours until, you know, this thing. And then we would like compare and whatnot. I think for me, it was like. I don't know, three and a half, yeah. four till I hit Hyrule Field. <sighs> and then everything, Lake Bed just, I think you clocked in, you were done with Lake Bed like eight hours. Took me like yeah. Hours. And I, I think the biggest thing is that dungeon took me like four hours. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I think, well, for one, Twilight Princess is the first one and probably one of the only games that in game, like say your save file actually tracks your, uh, it both, well, Windmaker HD, I guess, technically tracks your last date of, oh, maybe the original did too, but, um, you know, they've been tracking your last date of save, but they also, Twilight Princess might be one of the few, if not only games that in-game tracks your uh, your time, and so I just kind of became more conscious I of it. I appreciated that, made it a lot it easier. It did. <laughs> I started to wonder, but I was just able to exactly track at certain points when the game was saving, well, most because the game prompts you at certain points too. But I just can't, I can't believe how, inef- like, the best way I can describe it is inefficient. Like, yeah, like, you know, you've kind of heard my feelings on Wind Waker's first, third, uh, even, I don't know if I could call it half, I guess half of the of the game, where I'm like, it's fine. It feels a little restricted, but in some ways it feels like it's better for it to be restrictive when the world is as big as it is. It, it shouldn't just throw you right into it. Um, and it makes sense. Yeah, and you see, I think the thing with Wind Waker is, well, here we go. <laughs> getting into it already uh, but at least in that game you see everything going around like you see the ocean and everything from the very beginning so you're like oh something else is out there whereas like with this game you're just confined to the same woods for like three hours and then when you get whisked to Hyrule Castle it's very like oh where are you oh go to a tower oh we're warping so it's like you don't have any sense of what the rest of the world looks like yeah so I think it makes it more difficult yeah and I think well even as you just pointed out with trying to stick to it. Yeah, like just just sticking within the realm of Twilight Princess, a lot of the first half of the game, which like 
for a game trying to ape Ocarina of Time, it's so strange to me. Like, without going into comparison yet with that, like, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. Not it's to. hard when it, it's the game is begging for it, too. It's, it's, yeah. it really is. But trying to, like, stick within its structure, it's just taking on its own. It's bizarre. Like, what is it doing, <laughs> doing that you get, yeah, that you get whisked away to Hyrule Castle and then you come back, but you're not in the twilight and you're still a wolf. But then you have to go get a sword and shield that th- then you don't use because Binda's like, oh, never mind. And then you go into the twilight and then you save Faron and then you re- you retread that trip to the forest temple three times, which yeah, it drives me <laughs> it's crazy. It's kind of ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. Like if I couldn't believe if it. The idea was to get you familiar with the area. I don't. I don't know. I don't think this was necessary, but I also think even just getting yourself excessively familiarized with the area isn't helpful. I don't know. I, for so much of the first half of the game, I used to be defended in the sense that I'm like, well, at least it's paced better. And that's even kind of questionable. I don't know. Like Elden is paced to a degree that I would think like, yeah, you know, you get there, you're, you're now in the twilight and you do that. And well, even then you, you have to just randomly backtrack to get iron boots to come back, which is, it's a short trip, but then you come back and that's after you go up the, Oh, you go up the mountain, you fail, you go back. He's like, Oh, you should go talk to the mayor of where you came from. And then, then you get your horse, then you get your horse, then you get the iron boots, then you come back, then you fight King Bulban, then you go up at that point, it's a straight shot up Death Mountain, and then you're in the dungeon, and that's that's fine. But then you get to the Lanayru province, which I thought I was going to like more, and I the first half of this game, there is that un all the way all, the best way I can describe it is this unshakable weight of dread that just sat that I'm like, I am just exhausted from playing this yes. game. I didn't think I would get so tired yeah. from from playing it. Cause I'm just trying to enjoy it on its own merits. And the collective experience of the start to end of the game is it feels like twilight princess is really trying to justify and juxtapose its story as really important. And there are things I like about the story. I was, that's probably one of the biggest new discoveries of playing this game that I'm like, there are things I like, there are elements I like about it. They actually try a lot of interesting things. Um, I think the best thing, the best conclusion you and I came to when discussing it is it, or what you said specifically was it feels very anime and there, yeah. <laughs> which is true. And there are elements that I, I generally like, it just feels half baked at the end of the day. And which is kind of, kind of not is, what you want when a game puts you on the, puts you on the railroad tracks all the time because of story. Yeah. And I just couldn't, I don't know. Like I tried to pick up on the, on the new things the game does, which mainly, reinventing the items in these different manners or like especially uh, like uh the the theming of the dungeons is definitely the most extensive to date like they really really push it but then i try to figure it's like so but these dungeons always kind of just bored me and i'm like why is that but paying attention to it um these these dungeons have almost the exact same structure from dungeon to dungeon i think maybe temple of time is different but it's probably worse yeah it's not <laughs> it's necessarily like backtrack through the dungeon yeah. but you can smash the gates which i suppose is kind of satisfying but it's like you get to the top of the dungeon you've literally seen everything it has to offer except for the very strange obstacle course to the boss which is really weird yeah yeah i don't <laughs> i started to realize it's like oh every dungeon's basically broken down into east wing west wing 
or east wing item west wing boss key and then straight shot north to the the boss like almost every dungeon has a similar structure to that and maybe in the first Goron, Goron Mine, like, yeah, Force Temple sort of sits on that, but it's a little more free flow, but Goron, Mine, Goron Mines is another straight shot that just loops you through the dungeon in a way. It really is only just a straight line. It just looks, it just doesn't look like it from the map, but it otherwise, is. they all rely on the same structure. I started to realize it's just like, oh, this is just not, like, every. it feels like even though there's a different set dressing, even though the items provide very unique and even kind of fun ways of engaging with things the structure doesn't really change and the items the use of them doesn't really evolve it's mostly just like yep you have the item so you can do the thing with it and you can do it again and then you can do it again here and then you can do it again here and it's interesting it's just not terribly engaging and so you know once you get to the second half of the game after you've done the side quest and exploration that the game has to offer that's all you really have to look forward to like five times in a row. And yeah, <laughs> it's just, I can't shake it. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is it. Like this, this is all we get. And I think even just, which is kind of a bummer because when it gets into the exploration of the game, like as a Zelda game, it's pretty solid for a little bit. And that's really, that's mainly right after you get the master sword and really before you start the big dungeon crawl to, to, you know, finish up the second half of the game and I was just surprised to see how engaged I was. I was like, wow, when this game is being a Zelda game, like it's kind of, it's kind of nice. Like it's yeah, not always Yeah, you get the- to run around as a wolf, re-explore areas. You got a claw shot. So it feels like there's a lot of stuff that you can do and like some actual side quests open up. But yeah, for me, that was the most fun part was like post lake bed, pre Temple of Time. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and then the, the mini games are really fun they had a lot of fun with the ideas for that they might not fit in the world in a way that makes sense they don't really reward you in a way that makes any sense but um but they're nice they're fun the fishing if you're really into the fishing is the, definitely the most extensive i mean the fact they give you a fish journal i didn't really pay any attention to it but that's that's, a, that's fine i don't consider it a mark it's just a thing that you can do and it's purely and it's just there and that's fine so yeah yeah that's probably my collective thoughts on just the experience of playing Twilight Princess before we get into finer details or comparisons. So yeah, let's see. For me, I guess like my history to the game, I feel like is important to note. And maybe it explains why I've always been so bitter towards this game is like, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I don't want an Ocarina of Time sequel. No, I loved that game. And from the second that game was released, I was like, I can't wait till they remake it or they make it again. I just want to play this forever. And I enjoyed Wind Waker and I enjoyed Majora's Mask a lot. But I would definitely say I would be put in that camp of like, when the first trailer for Twilight Princess dropped, I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing it. They're doing the thing. They're making the dark gritty adult i'm 10 years old i I think that tells you everything you need to know that that i'm like 10 years old and that's what i I, it's kind of a weirdly childish mentality (laughs) to (laughs) be like oh this is so cool and this is the adult link and this is what i want and whatnot and i'm 10 so i don't really respect my taste (laughs) but i really i do think like i noted the release stuff in the intro because I think it played a huge part in my reaction to the game I guess Hmm. I was very excited watched all the trailers you know was so pumped for it to come out 
And then it took us a while to get it because we got the Wii version and it took a long time to get a Wii and we didn't get, so it just felt like it all took a very long time. And then once we had the Wii version, I remember my biggest hang up was that I just couldn't figure out how to fish. And the game does not really tell you how to do it at all. And I didn't understand it. It did not feel like Ocarina of Time's fishing. And it was just like not any fishing I'd encountered in a game before. So I just struggled so much just getting around Ordon and figuring out what to do. And it took me hmm. forever. And then it just felt like it never ended. And so I think I got through Lake Bed, had my file get deleted for some reason. And it wasn't until... I don't know, like several years later when I was like, or like five years later or so that I actually beat the game for the first time, but I only actually beat it using an infinite claw shot cheat uh, <laughs> in the city of the sky because I was just so frustrated and I just hated it so much. And so that was the only reason I got through the game was then I just cheated and I was like, screw this game. And then I actually completed it without cheats for the first time for this podcast. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy <laughs> to me because this is my favorite series of all time. So even if it's like, oh, I don't really like the game, I would, you know, more Zelda is never a bad thing. But I think this game, when it came out, I think every choice it made offended me. <laughs> I think that's the thing is it's not, I'm not <laughs> mad at this game for not being Ocarina enough. I think I'm still bitter or I'm not mad at this game for being too Ocarina. I think I'm still mad at it for not being Ocarina enough for me because it ruined or it it the take on ocarina's world on hyrule it was just so not for me i just didn't like it i didn't like orden i didn't i was like yeah i guess the game just in some ways felt like zelda fan fiction to me like it felt like the twilight realm disappeared out of nowhere midna felt like a character from a different game i didn't really like the people in the town i just didn't really like the characters i didn't connect to them i didn't feel that i don't know they felt like a different style I just didn't get it. Um, I didn't like how long it took to get to Hyrule Field. I didn't like the Twilight sections. I didn't like how linear of a move it was. And I think the move, the move that made me the most upset when I was a kid was Kakariko Village. I have had <laughs> such hatred for the portrayal of Kakariko Village in this game for so many years. I just, it was so disappointing to me. Because I think I'd always dreamed of playing Ocarina. Oh, I can't wait to see like the big bustling. I can't wait to see this, but bigger, <laughs> basically. And so when I got there, yeah. and then, I mean, of course, it's covered in Twilight. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I'll I'll get rid of the Twilight. And then it, you get rid of the Twilight and it barely looks any different. You're like, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. That's fine. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with this weird Western desert town. And I guess like, look, okay. From a ge like I guess it makes sense from like a geographical environmental perspective. I still hate it. <laughs> There's nobody there, <laughs> and it was just so disappointing to me. I was like, oh, two people live in this town, and I saved it. Who cares? I was like, oh, cool, the Gorons. I don't like, you know. I was like, I don't like climbing this mountain. The Zoras. I was like, I don't like their designs, and then you don't get to do anything here, and I don't really feel connected to them as characters <laughs> and the Gerudo aren't here anymore. And so I think there are just so many points where it was like, it was because that I loved Ocarina so much that the game made me more upset. <laughs> Cause I was like, it's not even, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's like, oh, this isn't how I remembered these things, but it just wasn't, I don't know. 
it just, I guess there was always something with this game and I still sort of feel this way that like Wind Waker is so different and does such absurd things with like changing up the art style and like putting you on a boat in the ocean and like, and I guess in some ways it feels like it takes place in a more modern era than most Zeldas. And so I feel like you, I would look at that game and be like, oh, this isn't a Zelda game. But it always feels like one to me. And in, instead, it's this game where, like, if you take away the fact that I recognize the characters, it, like, doesn't feel like a Zelda game to me. Yeah. And so I don't know. So that's just, like, the crux of all of my issues, I guess. This time, I guess I'm much more accepting of it because we got another game in Hyrule. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um and so I, I don't have to live with this as feeling like the only interpretation. And I think it was also just from having so many people be like, oh, this is Ocarina of better. It just like offended me. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like yeah. all these good things that were in this game aren't here. And I don't like the way that they did these things. So I think having that has like allowed me to be like, okay, they went for a weird medieval Western <laughs> vibe in this game and i can accept that <laughs> somehow yeah so I've, i feel like i've accepted some of its choices with regards to the world but i absolutely hated them at the time and so i think it just i just feel like the first like 12 hours of the game just like beat you into submission it's just not fun i think that's my biggest complaint there were points with this game when i had fun and then they would just be undercut and I, my, the one that really got me yelling this time around, well, a couple of things. Uh, Lanayru Province and Collecting the Tears of Light, I just found it really inscrutable. I found it, there were times with this game where I don't think it's very difficult, but I had a really hard time knowing what to do. And I would just run around. I think the Area design is not always very clear, so I feel like it's really easy to get lost and not understand how areas interact because you would think, oh, I can reach this from here, but you can't. Mm, yeah. So it was really confusing. So it's like you're in Lake, Lake Hillia and you're like, how do I get to this spot? Oh, I guess I have to fly there. But then when you're a human, you think, now what do I do? I was trying not to warp everywhere because I wanted to like see the world and like collect things. But I just, it, the game makes it really hard to get to places. And I think Lanayru Province especially is just like, it's so confusing. And like getting from like Zora's domain and the river and the way that it all connects, it's really weird. I didn't really understand it. I still don't really understand it. <laughs> I should play the game for like 40 hours. I, I just found that very difficult. Um... I found it very confusing that you first enter the lake by going on the bridge and then climbing up and jumping off the bridge. So when I was the wolf and was like, oh, I need to get back to the last tier of flight, I should go back to the bridge and jump off of it again. That's what made sense to me. It's like, oh, within the sense of the world, I should be able to jump off the bridge. You can never jump off the bridge again. <laughs> I don't understand. You have to go through like the 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 cuckoo game. Yeah. Um, oh, and I yeah. just thought that was so weird. And instead you have to literally warp there. And that's just not my thinking from a Zelda game standpoint or just an environmental game design standpoint is, oh, the only way to get back there is to literally warp there. That would never, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me that the way that you get in and out of that area doesn't make any sense. And then, um, 
And then the other major thing was the build up to City in the Sky. Uh, I hate it really a lot. <laughs> um, because I spent the whole game looking at these owl statues. And a lot of it is also like, I forgot a lot about this game because I really have only played the last three dungeons like once in my life. And I that was like almost 10 years ago, I guess. Yikes. Hmm. Uh, so I forgot some stuff about the game, um, which explains my frustration at times of being like, oh, that's that. Oh, okay. I didn't know. But I will say that it did give me an interesting perspective of really feeling like I was playing the game for the first time at points. So I had been paying attention to all the owl statues throughout Hyrule. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to get an item and be able to do stuff with those. And that'll be fun. And I'm making note in my head of all these places. Oh, well, at some point I'll come back and I'm going to solve these puzzles and get some heart pieces and stuff. I was like, cool. So I go to the Temple of Time, get the Dominion Rod, and I'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. You get the Dominion Rod. I'm, after this dungeon, I'm going to go out. And that's the. I'm so excited to get to move all these statues <laughs> and explore and do all this stuff. And then you leave, yeah. and then the the Okos show up, and they're like, oh, cool, you got the Dominion Rod. Oh, it's dead. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to do something about that. And you're like, excuse me? <laughs> and then you like, move it, and you're like, okay, I guess it makes sense. We went back in time, we pulled it out into the modern time, and now it's broken. There's not really enough lore surrounding the Temple of Time and all of those ideas for that to like really be solidified with me. I yeah. get, I, I see the threads and they are planted, but I don't really buy it. To come back out and then have this new item and then be told, oh, you actually have to do all these things to restore power to it. I don't even, I played this game like a week ago and I don't even remember what the fetch quest was to give it power anymore. Uh, Ilya's memories, whatever. Just so many things. <laughs> So then I was like, awesome. Okay, I'm going to have the rod back together and then I'm going to go explore and stuff. But no, now that the rod is tied to a story point, what's really going to happen is that your friend researcher Thaddeus, whatever his name is, doesn't matter. He's not really important. He's yeah. just a guy. <laughs> then he's actually going to mark all of those locations on your map. And I'm like, all right, well, it's fine. I'm sure one of these locations is the one that will get me the thing that I need. So I just have to go to all of them and figure out which one it is. So then I go around and I do that. I don't realize you're supposed to step on the glowing spot because I just like, oh, that's just the spot that lets you know that that's where the statue forms. So I do a couple of those and I get to one and I go, I don't really know what this one is for or what like the heart piece is. So I go and then I stand up on the glowing spot and then I get the letter and I go, oh, cool. <laughs> so I have to go back <laughs> to the other ones I've already done. And go get the letters. And that's when I realized that moving every single statue is mandatory. And the only thing that's optional is deciding to move the statues to get the extremely obvious chests. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a thing that I was excited to do. I was excited to explore. Had made notes of the entire game of, oh, cool, stuff you can do. And then the game marked it all on my map. And I was like, oh, well, that's okay. I'll, you know, at least some of them. And then they made them all mandatory. Yup. <laughs> Why do they do that? I just hate that. I, that's my microcosm of the thing that makes me most upset in the game is like, oh, cool. All right. Awesome. Oh, it sucks now. Yeah. That was a fine idea. And even just exploring. If the game was like, hey, maybe you should just go around a little bit. But they just, you know, they didn't want people to get stuck or whatever. And then it just felt like this thing that I was excited to do was now just a checklist 
and it immediately killed the fun for me. Yeah. Sorry, that was so much, but <laughs> I knew. Kind of gets the game <sighs> in a nutshell, though, right there. Yeah. Uh, well, even just thinking of, um, even just thinking the way this game signposts is really frustrating because um, you remarked on it and i think even as one of my roommates was watching me play he's like oh that wall you can just bomb that wall and i'm like well <laughs> fun fact even though i just blew up a bunch of huge boulders with a single bomb <laughs> i actually can't blow up that cavern to the hidden village and yes he's like, oh my god what oh, why not me. and it's oh, like it well <laughs> Because Goron has to punch through it because story reasons. That's why. And yeah. then uh, I I don't understand. It's, it's uh, stuff like that that bothers me so much. Or it's like, I don't know. It's like my fundamental issue with the game is you, you retread to the forest temple three times. You get out of there. You go into Hyrule Field and you go, awesome. The game starts. And what are your choices? Uh, that part is gated and you don't have a horse so you can't go there okay oh. um and then this part over here has rocks and boulders so you can't go there and if you try to leave Farron woods minda says well no you got to do a thing yes oh my gosh that's a really silly thing that happens <laughs> that's thank you for bringing that's, that up this that, is very silly and I, I don't understand so when you are first going through Farron as a human to save the kids and you go talk to the lantern guy. When you look out to Hyrule field, there's a gate and it's closed that goes out to Hyrule field. So you can't go there. You're like, okay, the gate's closed. Fine. I can accept that logic. When you're a wolf, the gate is open. And Minda just says, is it the end of the twilight or just, she just says, no, you can't go there. She just, no, you can't go there yet. Yeah. So then yeah. when you turn into a human again, it's the exact same thing. The it's gate like, is no, open. You can't go there. Yet. And, but there's, <laughs> Why would you not just what? leave the gate closed the whole time? Why? Yeah, either like either that or just I don't know. Like, why? Why would you do that? They don't. Why trust do you the player. open it and then have her then say? I just. I don't know. They don't trust the player explorer sense. do anything at all, and which is weird because the game is already so heavily sequenced that you're just not going to be allowed to anyway by the design of the game. Like yeah. you're already not, and then they're just like, well, just in case we're going to put a couple triggers in. I think we talked right about here. this a bit too though that we kind of admitted that to a degree if the game let you go anywhere, it wouldn't even really feel like it would be almost extremely confusing. It'd be inco incomprehensible. I just yeah. don't think the the game is not even the game's not even built for it. That's just the no, thing. No, it's just not. If it was to, if it was going to ape Ocarina of Time a lot more, rather than just trying to evoke the sense that you're playing a game like Ocarina, it would have actually. I'm not saying we got the same field design. There's some benefits to what Twilight Princess does with parts of its field for sure. That even feel that kind of remind me of Ocarina in a, like a really good way, like the weird abstract ledges and stuff you can get onto. But when it comes to the the structure, it's kind of ridiculous. It's like it's like in one sense, it's like well, what if we just like it's like it's a question that you can ask it's like well what if fans came in hacked the game and removed sequences it's like well the game might actually be kind of a disaster yeah. to play it, it might be kind of terrible um because it's not built for it and you could easily um i mean even just playing the game with cheats and just doing ridiculous things i have absolutely killed some of my save files in the process of just doing that being like oops i've locked I have locked the Lanayru province into a permanent state of twilight because I have no <laughs> means 
getting the game to allow me to go finish up what I was supposed to do. The game is is not is not built for it in any capacity. And so I could it's like asking for it is kind of Yeah, well and it's like even when the game opens up, it still kind of feels like I don't know, when you look at the map, and we did talk about this too um, as we were playing it, I think the map also leads to some of that frustration because it's for the first time they go to a straight up area map. This is where the the borders of the area are. Yeah. Like, like what your mini map like always was in Ocarina of Time, but when you go to the main menu and you look at the map, it's a painterly, vague sketch of the map. Yeah. So you get a sense of what the world looks like and how it all fits together. And you don't get that here. And I always just, I think from a functional perspective, I guess the map is more effective because you can see all of these hallways. But then when you look at it, this big open world looks like some open areas connected to each other by hallways. Yeah. And so it it kind of struggles in that way. And look, I get that it's a GameCube game. And so that there are limitations (laughs) here and like, you know, all of those things, I guess, make it easier to load the areas and whatnot. But it's almost like it goes so big, but then it has to confine itself because it's so big. Whereas maybe it could have been smaller and more integrated and more open and felt more successful to me. And also two of the five field areas are almost completely barren. (laughs) So that's not helpful. Yeah. That's that's like the biggest bummer coming back to revisit this game is that we both always came together on was like you finish up the forest temple and it's like finally Hyrule Field and you get a sparse little field and it's like, well, here's the next Twilight section. Yeah, that's just how it feels. It's just like, all right, more Twilight. That whole first three dungeons, I have played those like eight times in my life. (laughs) And I'll always be like, I'll always be like the first couple of dungeons and like quit. Or, like, remember I have to do lake bed and quit because I really don't like it. <laughs> um. uh, I don't know. I think <clears throat> another summary that came to my mind of the like another, or at least another descriptor of this game that I could think of, or I guess uh, the imagery I could think of, is a game feels like it's cashing a check that it does not have the credit for. And I feel like kind of to explain this, the, the two things that come to mind, for one are all like it's a mix of moments it's the moments in the game that it tries to portray itself as way more epic than it actually is and there's a lot of things that do this like if you want to put the quotation marks around epic zelda and put it to a game this twilight princess fits this to a t and it always kind of i don't know if it drives me crazy but i just kind of roll my eyes where i'm just like really like we've done almost nothing why like just everything associated with the kids um, in the way that, like, the oh, kids. Link, you're so cool. I, yeah, I, I don't, I why, why do we need this? They're, it's like a cheerleading squad for Link, but they're also kind of jerks. They're really all terrible. And yeah. also, Malo is. I get that some nonsensical. people like him. I don't. I, but I, I get, get that. I get that some Malamar, people, he really least, hits. Like the Hyrule Cat, like Castletown Malamar, I can get why it's almost kind of a meme within the community. And I get that. I don't like that. he Well, like, especially with the tutorials, I'm like, why are you so terrible? Why are you so obnoxious? It's just, they're so unlikable to me. Yeah. They're kind of ugly and, and they're, they're not, just like really annoying stereotypes. And they're not like, grounded ar- not in any kind of... stereotypes or archetypes. Yeah. They're not grounded in any type of reality. They're just really obnoxious. I hate really Colin's obnoxious. stupid bowl cut. <laughs> 
I just, why is a 1995 bowl cut sitting in a Zelda game? I hate uh, it. Character designs are, well, we'll get there, but man, it is, it's not great. Yeah, I just, I don't know. From like the way it spends those first two hours that people like, some people have heard it, well, it gets you more immersed in the game. I'm like, I just, I tried to make it a point to talk to people and I couldn't put my finger on quite why it just, I'm just like, I don't, I try and I just like, I don't feel anything. And I think part of it is the character designs are, are dreadful. <laughs> um, they really are. I don't understand why Link, like Link, ah, yeah, I'm trying to avoid comparison at the moment, but because we'll get there. Um, but it just, yeah, I don't, I, I can't get connected to Ordon at all, mostly because the gameplay connotations for doing such. It's, that's the biggest thing is I can't get connected to most of anything because the game is plainly making sacrifices towards players freedom and i don't i don't have problems with linearity per se it's more the game like the game's pacing and structure is is all over the place it's such a mixed bag and what you get in return is a story that's just not it's just kind of eh or like there's elements that just fall off completely like everything associated with ordon first off the kids get the whole situation with the kids gets resolved very quickly um, and it seems more so set up as moments to make Link to be out like, oh, he is the hero and like he is this big hero. But then there's this disconnect between the fact that they try to portray him in moments like he's a big hero. But every other moment of interaction in the game, he is this husk of a human being who just does <laughs> nothing. And it's just like, I don't understand why they're like, oh, he's fierce like a wolf. And maybe that's true in like the way he yells in combat and the abilities he gets. But it's not true it just he's just just kind of a goober he is kind of a goober (laughs) and i guess like he feels like a character that doesn't really have any agency because he's just whisked along by midna so it feels like link likes midna and i don't know like it's weird that both of the like major female characters in the game zelda's just kind of an enigma but like between like (laughs) Ilya and midna both kind of these similar characters that just kind of yell at you and tell you where to go. (laughs) And I just don't really feel like an active sort of participant in those relationships. I just don't really find that. I find that kind of tired because you get that from like both of these characters. And yeah, I don't know. uh, I don't know. Yeah. The characters only end up really being a driving part of the narrative in some form, which would be more okay if the game wasn't so wasteful and then like it simultaneously burns so much time in that first half and then proceeds to forget everything in the second half apart from arbiter's grounds where you have a little bit more development um some elements of which are kind of weird but like it's fine and then you have a big gap of nothing where the only real update you get is minda at the end of each dungeon talking about a couple more things that are inconsequential or give you kind of small details towards Zant's true nature. And it just, I, I don't know. I, well, like even just to bring in like the whole leading up to sitting in the sky and I was thinking like, Oh, it wasn't too bad. Right. And I get there and I'm like, ah, yeah, this kind of like you had the disappointment to face. Cause you didn't even know. And I was like, yeah, this whole section is just whatever. It's just a throwaway to use the rod and then completely forget about it again. But it's just like, why, like, we're now saving, like, we're now getting Ilya her memories back, and she's now giving us the horse call so we can call Epona whatever. Like, what, like, what was the thought process behind this? Yeah. Like, the kids were saved way back in, like, hour four of the game, and here we are, like, 20, 30 hours 
<laughs> finally saving Ilya. Well, it, it's just so convoluted. It's so <laughs> convoluted. Oh, Ilya's memories might be the secret to us restoring power to your rod because she met this woman who you have never heard of at any point. Yep. Who lives could. in this village that you've never heard of at any point. I Maybe there's like... Maybe I, before the hidden village, there's like one dialogue where you talk to someone and they go, oh, there was an older village. No, but I still think that's related to the story. I think that's I think, being told. I think she only, I think only Impaz really gets at the whole thing that Kakariko was like the remnant of the village that people had moved to. Yeah. And ah, shoot, now this is making me think of something else this ties into, which is the, um, I don't know, even just thinking about the overarching theme of this game is is just impossible to put a finger on because people are like, oh, it's so dark, but it's like, but there's, it's so inconsequential. But like, even beyond that, there is like intrigue that they just don't develop. Like there are a couple sparse moments where characters important to the plot, you know, mention like maybe there is hope for the declining kingdom. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what yeah. are we supposed to make of that? Like, as far as I can see, Kakariko's a mess, sure. But everyone else seems to be doing fine and you've resolved most of their issues so you're like i don't see what the problem is i feel like the game if i had to make an argument for like what the theme of the game is i guess it would be like it seems to be a kind of related to sort of like ignorance and the fact that people in castletown are kind of stupid and (laughs) are ignorant to the world around them and i guess to the fact that they're covered in twilight and that there's a huge twilight diamond over their castle uh and (laughs) The people in Orden are very insulated from the issues of the rest of the world, and Kakariko's a garbage town. But it none of it ever gets connected into a way. It's not like there's a contingent of Kakariko folks that are like, oh, we've been left behind by the kingdom. There's nothing yeah. that puts any of this on, say, like Princess Zelda's lap, which does she have a father? Is she the queen? What is the royal family situation? With the fact that, like, she's. In this game, well, I guess every game kind of mentions what the deal is with Zelda. And this one feels really weird because it's like, okay, she's the princess, but she chose to surrender. Yeah. Does that mean, like, the king was killed? Or is she just, is Princess Zelda just the ruler of, we don't know. Or is she just here for status quo? I don't understand. (laughs) Um I just don't understand what her role is in it because it's portrayed as she can make these major decisions, but she's referred to as Princess Zelda. So, yeah. So those are, they're just, they're examples where if they want to have a deeper story, which they put the game on rails to have a deeper story, then they're pretty much asking you, Hey, evaluate the story. Cause it's an important part of this game. Yeah. Um, ah, it, like with the lake bed, uh, temple scene or before, well, really when you, when you finish up the tears of light for Lanayru, like that whole scene, it's like, oh, I didn't realize there was a risk that Link would feel the temptation of the dark powers of this thing, even though he's doesn't seem like he's capable of using it. Midna's primarily collecting it. Like if they were gonna play up something like, oh, maybe Midna is up to something that's not good, but that's never that's never even like thought of. It's it more... never really feels like even when she gives you that revelation at the end of like, oh, I was only thinking in my own self-interest, you're like Sure, of course you were. Like, it yeah. doesn't really feel like a revelation because it seems clear to you that, like, she's not trying to, I don't know, she's not trying to destroy your world. Yeah. I mean, her intent 
originally was she didn't care and she grows into a state that's like you know what yeah like i'm i'm not gonna be such a but it never anymore. forces her to make a decision it's not like she goes from i no. didn't care about the world of light and now i do it, it would have been a bigger thing if if she was gonna follow in the like if if the result of her own anger and want for revenge against Zant actually put her at risk of also end up falling into his shoes and being a hypocrite i think that could have been interesting and at least put her at risk of that. But then like maybe like even just having all of the, the twilight, whatever the, the helmet, the relic, whatever it was. I don't know what <laughs> the they're called. The fused shadows. The fused shadows. Um, thank you. <laughs> like it maybe if having all those, like when you finally got those all together, like maybe that would, I'm, I'm also really but she confused. does get them back from Zant at the very end, and then is she's able to what? use them. She so then does. it's like, what is the mess? I, I didn't even see when she actually got them back She from It's after him. they kill Zant. I know that she activates her power with it, but I just didn't... I don't know. I, it I seemed was so like she confused. got them back. I don't know. But I, it was weirdly communicated, so it never really... There are, there are like a couple moments this game does that I'm like, okay... I know that mid, like their game, like I used to be like, oh, blatant plot holes, but it's more like the game just like the game. It's talked about it, but it just didn't communicate them very well in the moment of it. Like, yeah, I don't think like, there's too much that you literally don't that you're like, oh, the plot doesn't make sense, but it just there's just not a lot of depth to it. Yeah. And that's probably the newer thing I've come to understand. And I, I they give lip service to a lot of things. And like, that's yeah. kind of my issue with it is like you have your friendly force in Talma's bar. Yeah. But you don't have any connection to them because they show up later in the game. And then you realize also after talking to them what the pattern is, which is I'm thinking about the next temple you're going to go to. And when you're done with this temple, I'll see you at the next temple. Yep. I kept going back to Talma's bar, even though it's completely unnecessary to go and talk to them just because I was like, okay, I'll have, I want to learn everything that I want to learn everything that the game's going to tell me about this. Yeah. But you know, they say like, they say like, oh, we got to do our best to save Hyrule. And you're like, not dad. Orden friend is there. And he's like, <laughs> you know, we got to do our part. They don't know anything about you. No. <laughs> they don't know what you're doing. They don't know who Minda is. They don't know you can turn into a wolf. They don't know I, what the Master Sword is. And it's no like, one, uh, no one seems to know anything. Yeah. And they want to help. But I guess like my question is. Like, do they even know that something is wrong? Can they even, is it that the roads are filled with monsters? Because no one seems to, like, talk about how many monsters there are. Yeah. I just. Or that Hyrule Castle was taken over. Yeah. Like, everyone's <laughs> been, like, freaking killed. Princess Zelda's gone. Has no one said anything about this? I Yeah, I don't understand. All, like, all you get is a couple moments from some characters. Some just completely side characters are, like, I think even the Gorons in particular, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't. I haven't really hung out in Castle Town because the the air is kind of something. Something's really foul about the air there. But I'm like, what does that even mean? You don't get the sense People of anything. People have like a that. bad feeling. They have a bad feeling, and it's just like it's all it's all talk, and it's yeah, like, it's just it's just like it's all talk, and that's kind of. And I don't think I'm holding the game to an unreasonable standard because we spent pretty much all of last uh last episode talking about the themes of Wind Waker and its story and how impactful it was. And it feels like the game's story and themes are really combined well with its gameplay really nicely. And you have a sort of, I don't know, if you had to ask me, like, what are the themes of that game? It's, like, about um, letting, go of the, letting go of the past, like, giving hope to future generations, not 
like being so swept up in like nostalgia and memories, like having the courage to like branch out and explore something new. And like it, you know, you even have little like moral quandaries between like the rich man sequence and windfall. Um, people like setting out on new lives, their lives changing, like looking out into the ocean, dreaming of something. I don't know. There's a lot of like, I don't think it's like, no, it's not like the most complex thing in the world, but it's all there in like people's discussions and whatnot. There's little like hints. And in this game, again, I just, I guess it's about being blind to the plight of other people and Hyrule sent Ganondorf into this other realm with like these people they thought were evil and it came back to bite them and that yeah. they had ruined this other realm that they didn't think about. And so I guess like I can see that as being kind of interesting, but it's really just hurt in the execution because like you don't get to talk to any of the Twilight. They're just like <laughs> weird sighing zombies once you put them back to normal. Yeah. It's so, just you know, there's just like, it's not like, I guess it feels like nothing really opens up. It's not like you do something and the world becomes bigger and you gain new connections. It just feels like, all right, on to the next thing. Yeah. And so in that way, I think it's really lacking because you don't really get people's perspective because they just don't exist. And so it's, it's like there's more Gorons than anyone else. And the Zoras too keep yeah. repeating the same dialogue boxes for 10 years. <laughs> they really don't oh, say anything different. I wish you could different. meet our queen, okay? <laughs> anything okay. else going on? I wish you could meet our queen, okay? okay. And then Rallis is on the throne. Oh, we're so happy. Ral Their dialogue is so stilted. Uh. And it's really like some dialogue changes, some doesn't. And that whole area just feels like a missed opportunity. Like, they're not yeah. really characters, but anyways, I'm sorry. I just, oh my goodness. <laughs> we should probably talk about presentation. Yeah, I think we've we'll be hit here most of the, the marks because the comparison's already going to be a lot to begin with. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. We're okay. <laughs> oh, a loose goose <laughs> episode of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Right here. Big time. That's where we're at. It's a lot more focused. We have a lot to say. Oh, we have a lot to say, but it's just, you know. Just unleashing a windbag here now. It's just flying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I feel like we've kind of made it clear where we side on like sort of the art style direction. I will say um, I played the HD version and then I booted up my Wii copy that I had. I think I like the original better. I would still choose to play the HD remake because it has little nice quality of life things and it's clearer. And when you're in like the daytime sections, it does look nicer. But I actually think that like the blurriness of the original kind of helps it out. I've sort of realized through this playthrough, that was sort of my take. And I, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that for now. <laughs> Yeah, I can. I when you were showing me screenshots of the Wii version, I was like, "Well, I was like, one well, yeah, the texture work is <laughs> pretty gross." But yeah, that's that's one of the biggest things. When I started thinking about, it, I was like, "Was some of this stuff in dungeons as hard to spot as it was in like the original?" Because like I think as bad as the game's art art direction affects its uh, ability to like signpost clearly. And it is really fun. I mean, there's parts that are just part of the design that are just really poor in the way it's done. But so, like others, otherwise, I'm just like, was this always this just really annoyingly difficult to spot? I mean, like thinking of um, 
I don't know. Well, Sydney in the Sky is a perfect example because there's a lot of stuff that just feels like it took me for it took me five minutes to figure out how to climb up to the boss because I didn't <laughs> know what I could. It's just like I feel like so many of the puzzles in this game boiled down to getting into a room, knowing you had to be in that room and had to figure out, and then just going, "What can I use? What is actually interactive in this yeah. environment?" And just and, playing games of I Spy. Yeah, it's just going in a first person mode and being like, "Oh, I guess I can claw shot to that." Okay. Yeah. I just thought in Ocarina made it so clear what you could interact with with your hook shot. It was like, that's a tree. You can hook to it. Chests yeah. are wooden. You can hook to that. If it's wood, you could probably hook to it. And Twilight Princess is like, you see that piece of metal next to the flames in Hyrule Castle? Yeah, you oh, can hook shot to that. I was just thinking about that. What? That was the worst. <laughs> Why? Why would you hook shot to that? How are you not on fire? I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And you can barely see it at the angle you're at, and you just wouldn't, like... Yeah, I feel like I, once uh, you get the claw shot, it's like the puzzles become, what can you claw shot? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the weird thing with Hy Hyrule Castle really is the worst example of it, because some of the puzzles involve, like, suddenly removing signposting and being like, well, what is it? What is what is your eye... What, like, naturally do you think you could do? It's like, well, the game has never naturally been doing anything. So why am I suddenly <laughs> being assumed that, yeah, the little, um, the little, like, the thing holding up the the, the uh, portraits and the paintings in that one hallway can be shot? Because you remember that mechanic from the second dungeon in the game 25 hours ago? It's like, no. And the only time I looked for it is because... At that point, I was already in the mindset that the game was deliberately doing nonsense like this at this point. And it's just like... Yeah, and you were in a dungeon where you were like, you have a bow, so figure out how to use the bow. But when you're in the final dungeon, you it could be anything. Yeah. And that's... Like, if the game's intention was to present the things in a way to the player that they needed to think creatively about how, like, what things you could connect to with, with certain items... It would be a little more forgivable, but it's just very because. But it's like the game to this point, like even as far as City in the Sky, like the things you can connect to are very are for the most part, for the most part, pretty plainly obvious. Um, and even with City in the Sky only being two dungeons away from Hyrule Castle, it's still weird. And so I don't, yeah. When it comes to the signposting, it's kind of a mess. Um, and it affects. It just really messes with what you think you can actually get to in a way that's not helpful. Yeah, I think another good example is the uh, the two chests outside of Southern, like the south side of Hyrule Castle Town. Um, oh yeah. I had to look them up because I had all the tools and I just couldn't even tell what to interact with. And I, it's like, how would you even know that you could? It was hard to tell that I could use the spinner on that little strip that I could then bounce with the spinner to get to this other chest, which is not what I assumed I was going to use that for. I hadn't even <laughs> yeah. contemplated how I was going to get to that other chest yet. So yeah. that was like, okay, weird. And then I had tried so many times to like get to like climb around. I was like, maybe Midna will have a trigger. I don't know. Maybe I can jump this. Maybe this is where I use the spinner. And then it's like, no, you can actually, what is it? Like hand sidle? Yeah. Whatever. Because that's only used like that, three times what? in the game. I didn't even know there was a thing you could do in this game. 
I was like, <laughs> they what? They carried that over from Wind Waker, and they're like, well, of course, play Didn't people play Wind Waker, because they would well, know. I figured, oh, maybe I could go, like, back to Wall somewhere. That's not a thing. But, the, yeah, I didn't even know that that was possible. So it's just, like, things like that where you just are like, oh, well, I didn't even know that I could do that. Yeah. Because it was never used. It's not satisfying Or, like, happens. the environment is just so unclear where, like, they didn't want to be so obvious and gamey, but then they ask you to do really gamey things. So then yeah. it's just super confusing. Yeah, that's just it. Because like what I don't, you know, what I don't want to be communicated here is that I want the game to just blatantly tell me when it's going to use stuff. It's just like, it's, I just want consistency because otherwise you just set the wrong expectations. Yeah, it's just so unclear from the art style what it wants. Yeah. And, and what so, you can use. And I think like Wind Waker was so incredible. I never felt that way with Wind Waker like at all. And, yeah. Oh, what should I do here? It always felt really clear and really obvious. And they use the same sort of visuals like every single time. And I get that like Twilight Princess wants to use more of its visuals in an inventive way and like make it more realistic and be like, oh, of course you could, if you're thinking logically, you can get to that. But Legend of Zelda games have always had that logic gap problem of yeah. what the way that you think about things and the way that there's a divide between like gamey thinking or like logical sort of, Oh, in the world you can do X thinking. It's always had those issues where it, like, I think like Jabu Jabu, you take the fish out and whatnot. And that's sort of a logic thinking, but feels very ungamey because you haven't utilized that. And it's not really a, it's not really something that happens in the game very yeah. often. Or at all, really. Yeah. It's like the only time you ever use Switch yeah. in the entire game. Yeah. So it's just stuff like that, I guess. And here, I just... Yeah, I think visually it makes it really confusing because it wants to be so, like, nondescript that it's so frustrating to me at times. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest problem with the, the, the art direction, really. I mean, in some... like, Well, I think that even carries over even just into the story elements again. It's weird how much this game fails to connect its story and it's with its world and gameplay. And yet the problems that it has like affect both equally in equal measure. And the presentation I think plays a big part in as much as uh, the, the characters are really ugly for one. Yes. Um, that's, that's one really big thing. I don't know what they were thinking here. I don't know if they're thinking about, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and the weirdness of those characters, but the simplicity that they had to strive for kind of made it work. Here, it's like you have a guy with a gigantic forehead, and then you have a guy who's more normal looking, but then has this dreadful face. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand. Like, yeah, why? It's like, weird. If we're going to draw some comparisons, Wind Waker, sure, Link might have been one of the very few characters that actually had cat eyes, because there's actually not a, not many that actually specifically have those. A lot of the NPCs have a lot smaller eyes. But, like, the weird abstractness of that game helped make that work because you're already you're already separated from the idea of reality at that point. Like, you're not you're not going in with the expectations of such. Looking at Ocarina of Majora's Mask, like in the original forms, they're N64 games that aren't able to put out human looking, you know, faces. So they're like, we'll do something a little more like they again, they sit kind of weird and abstract. But Twilight Princess has the, well, some amount of power to do it. And it's I I don't know. I don't I think they were trying to ape that. And they were also trying to make the game on the whole look kind of weird and fantasy. And I don't know, something got lost where Link looks fine some of the other human characters generally look okay 
And then a ton of them are just awful. Well, and your whole like Fab Five crew is like straight out of a JRPG. They're they, like they Final really Fantasy. Are. Like they've been imported from Final Fantasy Twelve. Yeah. <laughs> like some of the characters feel like, oh, this is a Final Fantasy take on these characters. And then some of the NPCs are like, you went for the the angular stylization of the 64 games, but you went with really realistic texturing. So it's just horrifying. Like, yeah, the mailman. What oh. is going on there? I don't know. I'm I don't sorry. Like <laughs> that's like the game's visual. That's the game's visual style in a nutshell. Like, uh, what are we doing here? Yeah. Ah, and I mentioned it before, but Link's complete lack of expressiveness. Like, I, I don't know. You feel like after the strides of Wind Waker, like, yeah, I get we're changing to a style where Link inherently can't express to that degree. But I kind of, I don't know. I, I liked I liked that like a lot. And I kind of wish at least some amount of that carried over. They clearly want to characterize him in a way that he has things he cares about. And I kind of wish that was more actively expressed on his character his his design at least from the artwork standpoint is still pretty great i can give a lot of credit for that it's still like the artwork does look really good for him um and i kind of wish he looked that expressive ordinarily so i'm kind of lost on art direction i don't know I, I don't i don't have as much to say in as much as i don't really like it and i think it hurts the game a lot with the thing is the way it presents itself yeah and i think it also limited them i think it's like why harville field is just kind of they, they tried to focus so much on making each individual area feel sort of like real and just like really putting this energy into it, but they dropped the ball when it comes to integrating all those areas together and making them feel part of like a tangible world. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, Farron Woods looks great. But then we still get like weird environments that are chunky like Ocarina of Times, which... Yeah, we have just cavernous like cliffs and ravines that lead to the darkness <laughs> question mark <laughs> yeah. what is underneath elden bridge you can't tell me you can't <laughs> according to the map it looked like a river apparently but you can't swim in it nope i don't even know why people are concerned about of course people aren't concerned about twilight when they could just be dropping off into the darkness at any time <laughs> off the edge of a cliff. <laughs> uh yeah some parts of this world designer kind of nonsensical oh the weirdest thing i forget if i told you about this when during the playthrough i was uh, yeah so i was at the zor queen's graveyard and so i go underwater after getting the zor tunic and kind of blow up in the rocks and i go through this tunnel because i was thinking like maybe this is like entrance to a grotto it'd be really weird but it'd be kind of neat i guess um and it turns out it takes you straight into lake hilia <laughs> if you look at the i looked at the map i was like wait a second this makes absolutely no sense. What just happened? I looked and I'm like, the graveyard is on the east, like is the furthest east like part of Hyrule. And then like Hylia is on the complete opposite side. So it's like, what did I just go through? Where? <laughs> I had the same reaction. I couldn't believe. I was like, oh, cool. Maybe there would be like a heart piece or I don't know. We'll, we'll be in here. And then it was like, you're cool. You have a shortcut. And I was like, I was, Great. I wasn't ready to go here Can I yet. Please go back to Kakariko Village. And it's like, no, that's a one-way trip. And you can't warp yet. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just 
why I don't need another way to get down to Lake Hillia and not be able to get back up. Thanks. Yeah. Other than taking the stupid cannon. That's <sighs> uh, it's stuff like that. It's the way like uh, it, the world design doesn't allow for stuff to be portrayed in the distance very nicely. Besides yeah, Death Mountain, which looks which weird. Looks very weird and very confusing. And I don't know what it is. You just don't you see you see Hyrule Castle in a lot of places, but it just feels it feels like you're almost too low to the ground. You yeah. don't, there just isn't that sort of, it feels like such a step back. You don't have that sense of, I can see something in the distance and go there. You don't yeah. know what anything is. Yeah. And I constantly had to check my map to remind it. myself of where stuff was. It was just uh, strange. And so, yeah, that, uh, don't like how the world is presented. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't like how that's handled uh, at all. I guess. Well. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, if we wanted to go on the more positive side, I guess we could mention the aesthetics of the Twilight. Yeah. To some degree. The bloom in the original was really bad. Yeah, it was one. tough. That was pretty... It made it, it, made it really hard to tell where you were. And like yeah. the areas are already kind of difficult to navigate and like make sense of. Like which, what is north, what is south and whatnot, or like which entrance is which. Yeah. Uh, but the Twilight makes that really difficult. Yeah. But I still think, like, it sounds good, it looks good, and the Twilight Realm itself looks really great. Twilight really Palace cool. is great. I like the overall aesthetic to it. The music, I mean, maybe not be memorable, but aesthetically, it really plays hard into the, like, what they were going for instrumentally. And it's nice, because the game instrumentally needed a lot of help. But the Twilight, yeah, the Twilight's one of the main sections where, like, at least that kind of hits decently well, even if the field areas yeah. don't. And I still like, well, I, I guess I really like the way Farron Woods looks. I, don't, I still don't, I don't like the music and I don't like Orden itself, but I like Farron Woods. I think it's like, I always think it's the prettiest part of the game. Like the spring is really pretty um, once you lift Twilight off of it. And it just, I don't know. I like the way that those woods feel. It feels really natural and I, I really believe it. Yeah, it, I don't like that it's but it, it's just kind of hurt for me too because it's all just sort of one narrow hallway from like Orden and these sort of areas you pass through from like Orden between Farron like a lot of them are really nondescript so you don't even really remember them they feel really similar Yeah, but the spring and you go through that little tunnel and the oil guy and the, the grass I don't know I always remember the grass and like the nature and stuff so it's just something that's always stuck with me in the game yeah um but speaking of fair woods i can move on to music if you're ready that's what i was thinking about yeah um huh. i don't have a lot of good things to say about the music in this <laughs> game but i will start with the good things i have to say which is that i really like the fair woods music um this game i feel like it really moves away from like really hummable themes and into sort of more atmospheric music, and that doesn't really hit with me very much. But in Farron Woods, it does. It just feels really comfortable. It feels really peaceful and sort of soft. And it, I couldn't hum it to you right now, but I really like it when I hear it. Um, yeah. And I really like uh, the ninth theme in Hyrule Fields, um, which I'll come back to that. Uh, <laughs> and I really like the music in Lake Hillia, just like. There's points where the game just feels really soothing and like relaxing and atmospheric and like those places all hit for me. They just feel really nice and peaceful and pretty. And yeah. so I like that sort of thing. What I don't like 
is I don't like the enemies interrupting the music. It drives me crazy, and it makes me want to avoid fighting with them because they just want to listen to music and like be left alone. And I think that there's way too many enemies in the game in general, and that the game would be better spent letting you just like have some more passive time rather than having your journey constantly interrupted with their sounds. Yeah. Um, and and then the day-night cycle, which we have not talked about. <laughs> is a huge, oh. huge, huge, huge flaw with this game. It's a big problem. <laughs> right, um, yeah. It kind of falls into comparison with the other games, but you don't get a song and the days are really long and it's very unclear how sort of long the days are. Like in Ocarina of Time, you could just like look up at the sky and be like, oh yeah, it's changing. And you could just, just from the music, you could tell like it was all timed out so well. But in Twilight Princess, it always felt really unclear to me where areas time wouldn't change and where they would. And the game locks you out of certain things when it's nighttime and locks you out of certain things when it's daytime and gives you no way to change them. So anytime it was nighttime, I was like, gotta go hunt 100 pose now because it's nighttime <laughs> as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, so that part, and it always just felt like every time I was enjoying the music in like Hilly, it always just felt like, oh, it's nighttime and it's gone. So I just... Didn't. That was frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, so I like those places. I don't like enemies interrupting. Don't like day-night cycle. And then eh, I this game needed orchestrated music really badly. It's always been a real problem yeah. with me. It's, it's weird. Um, and I'll get to that in a second, too. Well, I'll actually, I'll even talk about this right now. Because I mentioned the even just the, the Twilight and the way that it's more like digitization almost kind of plays better into the music and it's it's weird because you think about like you know well you think about all the previous zeldas well really ocarina through wind waker and you think like yeah they definitely could have used orchestrate well i mean they couldn't i mean technically from a technical standpoint neither ocarina or majora's mask could have afforded to which is why they make such heavy use of strong themes because that will stick a lot more at the end of the day but like with Wind Waker, you'd think like the Great Sea of all things would fall into that territory. But I think I think that a lot has a lot of that has to do with the way the samples are used, because it's very possible to use orchestral samples, even if they're not like more realistic samples and use them in a way that is that better complements them. And I think that's Wind Waker, especially with the Great Sea, what helps so much is how it's how it is conveyed and how it's all brought together. Yeah, and you have, like, I guess sort of, like, you have, like, the waves going visually, so it just kind of helps it all feel, like, big in scope because the gameplay and the visuals really contribute to it. Yeah. Whereas and Twilight Princess makes it all feel kind of, like, flat and hollow to me. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, and it just, like, they're definitely, they're trying to go for, like, as soon as you get into Hyrule Field, they're they're going for that bigger like bombastic feeling but they're also they're definitely relying a lot more heavily on like orchestra style instruments is a big piece of it too whereas yeah. Wind Waker its use of orchestra was pretty sparse overall it otherwise relied on a lot of different instruments for its other pieces and like the nature of the way they sounded helped a lot but uh Twilight Princess is constantly relying on basically either a mix of a wind symphony or a full orchestra style arrangement for a lot of pieces and and it doesn't and that like you can just kind of feel how lacking the mix is and I'm, i don't you know part of me makes me wonder if that comes down to 
the fact that we only have two composers versus four and Windmaker had Koji Kondo, so it's almost unfair, but it does, Twilight Princess really does feel hamstringed in that regard. There are, you, you pretty much mentioned the pieces that I particularly uh, like in this game. There's a couple small bits. The canoe mini game is nice. It's just pleasant. It nice. It's not amazing. It's, it's nice. I weirdly, maybe, and maybe this is for the growing up the N64 and liking snowboard kids, but I weirdly like the, the snowboarding song. It's weird. It doesn't even feel like it fits in Twilight Princess at all. I don't think it did. <laughs> I, I don't think so at all, but I, but I still like it's I don't know it's a nice composition I kind of end up liking it it really doesn't make any sense at all but it's it's fine for what it is on its own right but it really doesn't fit the game at all um oh but to mention the composers real quick we have uh Toru Minigeshi who he's you know he's been the uh long stay since Majora's Mask I believe which I, I guess isn't that long or anything Predo you know predominantly responsible for battle themes but now we don't really know the roles that each of the composers had because it's it's Minigeshi and it's also Asuka Oda who she's mainly done a lot of small side things mainly just to kind of help bolster kind of flesh out the soundtracks of a couple games here and there she hasn't done a whole lot of work so but Minigeshi I was starting to think as like ah, I guess he's just not a good standalone and I'm like well that's not necessarily true because if you even look ahead through his track record he goes on to compose Splatoon 1 and 2 which are musically incredibly diverse and fun soundtracks so i wouldn't even go so far as to say that i just don't think i think without kondo and without another without the other two composers to really kind of help bolster things he's kind of left alone i i kind of even looking back and listening to some tracks from wind waker people are like oh this sounds like the horns from pokemon ruby and sapphire i'm like oh i guess that guy that's one of those guys did compose that track so i guess that makes sense and just thinking how many how much effort contributed to that game's soundtrack and helped get so many diverse pieces in there. Even if not all of them are like superbly memorable that you could kind of at least get those elements of each composer. Here, you have really two people and really Toru doing probably most of the heavy lifting trying to get this game to work, which is probably why it relies so heavily on a single theme throughout the entire game for better or worse. But I, the one thing I started thinking about was the dungeon themes. And this is not in a good way either. I <laughs> I do not. They they are clearly trying to extrapolate more on what Ocarina Majora's Mask were doing, which which is good. I didn't I didn't find much of any substance in Wind Waker or Wind Waker's dungeon themes, except for Tower of the Gods and in Wind Temple to some degree. So these are definitely more atmospheric. But I and maybe it's the collective effort of the game to just make me feel like I'm wearing like two hundred pounds. <laughs> of like gear on me or something that I feel just weighed down but it just collectively added to that sense that I just didn't like anything that I was doing or hearing for me especially in the city in the sky it's, it's so it's like it's fine but when you've heard it for like three hours <laughs> yeah it starts to offend you <laughs> that's half the problem as you're in these dungeons in forever for and so Ocarina Majora's Mask had some moments that helped kind of stick them out like they, they had the moments that kind of like that made you really get a sense of where the music is at at least to some degree um not always but twilight princess it really feels like i mean i think of temple of time and i'm like is this like a 15 second loop is this all yeah. there? like there's like nothing to this it does the same thing the whole time city of the sky at least reminds me of um forest temple in a weird way from ocarina and I, I kind of I mean, yeah, 
I kind of like it. Yeah, but it does. It really does start to wear. And yeah, all the dungeon music is pretty whatever. I don't. I don't think much of it. The boss battle music is. I mean, there was. It was never. Oh, like it was never it. a particular mark. Where I don't like it. I don't think any of it really stands out at all either. It's not very well, good. It's the just battle, like the or the the instrumentation hurts it so much because anytime it, it tries does. to be epic, you're just like, okay. Yeah. That's just it. The instrumentation is and so I hate, weak. I know some people really like it. It made them feel epic. I hate it. I hate the weak point <sighs> music theme. Boom, 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 boom. Shut up. Like, <laughs> it just feels so hokey to me. Yeah. Because like, never you're a hero. I get it. I, I get it. I'm I don't good. know. Having a musical stinger for something like that, I think just further accentuates how weak mechanically the bosses are yeah i guess it just makes that more clear and i it's just there's a lot of uh there's weird western motifs and when i say that i mean like american western like movies like john mean like hidden village and the whole spaghetti western shootout yeah which is hilarious (laughs) it's honestly like and the cat minigame in there is awesome i mean that's probably the best thing in the game i think it's (laughs) great it was like Oh, it's wonderful, but it's just a missed opportunity too, because then there's no real depth there, and you're like, oh, I get to see a villain. It's just a one-off thing, but yeah, it's a great moment. Uh, the when you're fighting King Bublin, Bublin, it's Bulbin or Bublin? Bublin? I think it's whatever. Bulbin. Yeah, Fat Moblin. I don't know. Uh, Fat King Moblin. Moblin, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Um, when you fight him on the bridge, it has a very sort of a Western standoff sort of feel. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. I don't really see how it super plays into the game, but I think it's curious. I think they really, I think, I don't know, I wonder how much that the trailer reveal, the initial reveal, played so much into how they played those circumstances up. They're, they're very, they're there and they're present and they're big <sighs> moments. Uh, you really they're, are they're supposed whatever. to care about King Bublin. Bendis. <laughs> <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. He spoke. I just, oh, just kill me. Just, I'm sorry. I can't do it. Oh, boy. There are just uh, things in this game where I'm like, shut up. Like, stop. I, oh, yeah, when, I can't believe the game, this. This is not when, good. This is not good writing. When it tries to play up those revelatory moments. I, what, some of the I cuts are really strength. weird. What a shocking character. What a what? huge development. What? Okay, so... Ah. This is kind of relevant. It's semi-relevant. I don't know. I want to speak about it because you mentioned that and it's so weird. The When she, you know, impales his aunt and inflates him, like this is a dig dug, I guess, that we're playing and pops him. Um, then it immediately cuts to like, that was just a fraction of my power. I don't know why. The way that's, I can't even say delivered. There's no voice. What, the way that's scene, like. What handled, scene is that? That when you, uh, after you defeat Zan, then she pops him. And she pops him? Yeah, well, like, she, yeah, she attacks, she stabs him. Oh, And then I guess, inflates him up and blows him up. Oh, I guess you're right. I, I, was, happy, I was having to, a hard time even remembering how exactly he died. <laughs> I always remember because it's so weird to me that that's just it. But, I mean, it's kind of frightening in its own way because it's like, wow, that is pretty grotesque. But um, it just Im- immediately cuts right from that and to her freaking out about how incredible that power is. And I'm like, uh... 
okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, uh, I was like, that's, that's, an, that's okay. I'm like, wow, I guess, I guess this is an anime. Cause that is, this is anime. We've got anime dialogue now. Yeah. Um, but does it make anything of it? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess they try to play it up later when she's. <laughs> but she just it. keeps using that power after that. She just keeps using it again. And she's like, fine. You're like, oh, I guess she's more powerful now. It's not really, yeah. there's not really a message about it. Like, well, power yeah. corrupts. No, she's she good. She turns fine. into a squidna and yeah. stabs the big squidna. diamond and breaks it. That's, I was watching, I forget what I was watching. And someone is like, everyone's favorite part is squidna. That's you can't, awesome. It was, oh, it was a speed bomb where that was the only unskippable cutscene. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then, and then uh, she's like, Dory, I'm going to, I'm going to fight Ganondorf. And, and then she fails. Yeah. Shocking nobody because this is a Zelda yeah. game. And then she's dead, but she's, but she's not, not dead. And you're like, how? Oh, okay. And Zelda was dead. And now she's, she's alive because well she says something that now that she's reclaimed her powers she she mentions it it's another one of those story things where it's like they mention it and then she's just there why i guess i figured she'd come back to life but i don't know i'm sorry to anyone who really loves this game i just i'm sorry you probably just stop listening I want this story to be really good, like because because they spend so much time on it, and there are elements here that are pretty weird for a Zelda game, and it's like it, at least it'd be like it, at least it'd be something at least this would be the equivalent of Super Paper Mario at the end of the day, where it's like yeah, I wouldn't want to go back and play it, but you know at least like the payoff was worthwhile. I'm still doubting that on Super Paper Mario now, which is why someday we'll get to that game. But <laughs> I just I kept making a comparison because it's another game that I'm just like I structurally don't like what they did. I I the trade-offs were not worthwhile and the end result was, well, this could have been really interesting, but it wasn't (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) So, and that kind of hits on really everything about the present If you were going to talk about what the game was going for, well, there was something, but I don't, I used to accuse the game of having that identity crisis of just trying to be Ocarina so it couldn't take risks, but they were clear, like, I don't know. I think even in the game design, it's evident that it's not plainly doing that. I kind of wish it did just to get more of a Zelda game out of it, but like. See, that's the thing is I'm almost like, (laughs) no, like maybe you guys should have taken more from that game because then maybe this would be more fun. Yeah, did they? I don't know if they got the wrong idea that they're like it was the story that sold people on Ocarina. I'm like, it, no, it wasn't. It was the presentation. It was the get presentation. Three, then it. five. Get the master sword. And it's like no, no, no. It was. It was. It was the fact that there was an earth shattering revelation that <laughs> when you woke up as an adult, it coincided perfectly with the themes of maturing. And the fact that your world has gone to crap. Yeah. And it's, awesome. it's, it's like, it's simple and it's so effective. And that's, and they, they get away. It's efficient. Like Twilight is what Princess it is. problem. And I mean, we're just going to, we're just going to slide on into comparison right here as we've been doing the entire episode. <laughs> that's fair. I didn't um, have any, I was only going to comment that I hated the enemy battle music and that was, yeah, it. it's bad. I think that I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I really don't. So. Uh, and Ilya's name anyway. is overrated. There we go. There's all the hot takes. I don't like it. It's just... <laughs> I don't care about her as a character in any way, shape, or form. I care more about, like, Malin and, you know, whatever. The long, long yeah. ranch girls 
who have multiple names because of the two different games, so I cannot remember. Well, I guess Madeline just grows oh. up, and then she, so she's just yeah. one person. But I feel more connected yeah. to her or like Surya than I do Ilya. Uh, but I, I've actually that kind of transitions into my next point, which is I was off of what you're saying about the story in the Twilight and whatnot. Like, I think a huge thing about this game is that it introduces you to every area in a bad state and then you make it better ocarina was so much more impactful because it showed you the world as it should be with a hint that something is going to go wrong and then you wake up as an adult and then this world that you knew from your sort of childhood is now gone to crap it means something to you. It's interesting. You want to re-explore those areas and see how they've changed and talk to people. And you can make the connections and go, oh, these people used to live here. Oh, that's what happened to Castletown and whatnot. Like, oh, this is really spooky and terrifying. And with Twilight Princess, since it just throws you into the twilight from the jump, you like clear out those areas and there's just not as much of a sense of accomplishment. You don't see the world in a good way. And, you know, it almost would have been... Here we go. This is my favorite part of the episode <laughs> where I start theorizing about what the game could have done that it will never, you know, that will never be, but it would have been awesome. I think it would have been awesome if the game actually straight up did send you to Hyrule Castle to go present this sword. How cool would it have been if you actually went to Hyrule Castle and then the Twilight stuff happened while you were there and you got to witness it. You got to see Castletown, talk to people, you know, feel like this country boy. Maybe they make fun of your clothes and you're like, oh, wow, the world is such a big place. This is crazy. Little old me, country bumpkin. And then you present <laughs> the sword and then it's like, oh, we're under attack. And then, oh, you're a wolf now. And oh, you wake up in prison and oh, you got to track down Zelda and... Instead of being in the tower, maybe she's in like a safe ah, house or something. so and, much more interesting. Oh, even just hearing that. Now you're a wolf and you're with Midna and now you've got to go back to the forest. And it's been a while since you've been in Orda, not 10 minutes, maybe. <laughs> and now you actually explore the forest for the first time and you get to see more of the world and you get to fill in the gaps from Ordon all the way to Hyrule Castle and the world will feel so big and I, I don't. That's my hot take, is if you had witnessed that instead of the world going to crap and having to figure out why, you could have seen the world in a better state, gotten attached to it, which I think most Zelda games do. I don't know. I remember Minish Cap is like throws you into Hyrule Castle really early. Um, kind of almost Chrono Trigger-esque, which is funny. Oh, but, yeah. But, you know, like <laughs> games that throw you into a town and are like, oh, this is cool. And you meet a princess and then it goes haywire. I think that's way more interesting to me. Yeah. So I don't know. So that And that would have shaken up the Zelda formula, would have done the same thing, you know, and it could have made the world more interesting. So I don't know. I just think that's like one small thing where like the you don't get to see any of these things. And maybe if you were there before all of this happened, you could get a sense of the way that the world is not very good. Maybe you see some Kakariko Village folks there, or you see some poor people, or something that makes you go, well, even before this happened, the world wasn't right. And it sets up a world where the twilight and all these things happening, you get through them and you persevere, and you discover a better world at the end of all of it, after the people of Hyrule you know, go through their strife, or the people of Castletown are forced to confront their indulgences or something. I don't know. That's what I would have done if that was the direction yeah. I was going. And it would have been really cool. And I probably would have changed the field design as well. 
Because it's <laughs> weird. Man, I'd, yeah, I'd be willing to forgive the game of most of its misgivings, I think, if it's just like... Yeah, if the disconnect with like the with the rest you're of the you're just plot not an active on, participant just, in anything. You hear about things happening, and the only active participant is Midna, and so it just feels like there isn't really that. Oh, oh, things have. There's no moment in the game where it super feels like things have changed in a way that is consequential. Like Kakariko slowly becomes more populated, I guess, by Gorons mostly, uh, and the yeah. kids. But you don't really see, you know, it's not like things have fallen apart in Ordon. It's just such a blind spot. It's just like, there's no, I don't know. I think about the girl in Windfall who's breaking into the safe because you've saved her, but now her life, you know, now things have changed. There are consequences to what has happened. Like it, I don't know, that's you try to go to this island that's going to be the source of your next pearl and it's destroyed by Ganondorf before you get there. Like, everything in Majora's Mask <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that you see over and over again. These things, you, all your actions have consequences. There's all of these kinds of, oh my gosh, that's crazy moments. And of course, Ocarina of Time and the Rededs. And I just, it's just not here. It's just, there. where is it? What is the... It's all very personal to like you and Midna and her personal journey, but even the change between getting the few shadows and getting the mirror pieces, it's not a functional difference. The goal is still defeat Zant, but now we have to get these other things to go to the mirror and defeat Zant. There's no, it's not a true pivot in the way that those other games are like, how much do you even know in Wind Waker when you're getting the pearls? I don't even, I'm not even sure how clear he makes it to you why you're doing that. Yeah. Well, because I mean, even on oh, your first playthrough. He's like, you want to save your sister. You want to save her from Ganon. Um, in order to stop him, we're going to need to go get this thing. And then you're like, oh, this thing isn't good enough and we got to power it up. <laughs> yeah. I think even like on your way to getting the pearls as well, there are, yeah, they, they make it a point mostly to kind of put it in the hero's quest, like the new game plus effectively. But like the the things that kind of would otherwise very blatantly tip you off to what was really going on is occurring with the major characters that speak, uh, that speak Hylian with uh, the King of Red Lions. Yeah. Where he's in having an exchange. And because I remember kind of what they were talking about, it's like, oh, they're talking about the nature of, of who Link is or what the King of Red Lions is specifically doing and they write it in a way that's meant to to kind of kind of like kind of give you an idea of things, but because it's so early, you can't really know. And I like it ends up it just like with most of everything else in the game, or just the world of the game itself, it plays into um, what's ultimately going on more. Like once you finally understand that, so like it, it works. It works really well. Like they they're really sharp about how. I think for one, Windmaker had to be really, really efficient, I think is what it is. I know I keep using that word a lot, but Windmaker really had no choice in that matter and had to convey things as best as it possibly could using just its world and some of its NPCs. So like for the NPCs, kind of like you pointed out, it's like they might not tip off to much of anything, but that's because quite like the premise is nobody's really like everyone's used to the fact that we live on islands where there are no fish (laughs) and we somehow just get along and live. And... 
Uh, and we only know about what happened before as a legend, but we don't know, we don't really understand the true nature of it. Yeah. And so you operate from that same exact standpoint. And so when you get into Twilight Princess, like you're operating from a standpoint that it's like, we just stopped like a catastrophe from taking over the entirety of Hyrule. Like it nearly got just about everything except for Ordon. That was the only spirit they didn't get. And somehow the only thing people feel is like, yeah, the state of this kingdom, I guess, which a couple, only a couple of the story important characters like even kind of touch on. And I'm just like, I don't like, yeah, the Zora queen was killed and the presence of the, the, the fused shadows, which I don't know. Why are they in dungeons? Why, why are they in dungeons? Uh, I don't, uh, mm. Their head and power uh, and the dungeons are there to protect it, uh, I guess. But then the mirror shards just get split and... And they just appear in places because... Yeah. Yeah, because... Well, sure, and I think, fine. like, the thing with, like, Wind Waker is, like, it kind of limits your agency, but it plays into the story because the whole story is kind of about these adults making decisions around you and sort of using you as pawns in this way. Yeah, um, and you're a child and you don't exactly know what's going on and you're just trying to like trust that these people know what's best for you and whatnot um, yeah and it I don't know I think that's it, it fits and it works with Twilight Princess it's really weird because the game immediately sets you up as the hero as soon as you turn into a human oh you're the hero then you see the Triforce immediately everything in the game is like you're awesome kids love you this girl <laughs> loves you you're everyone's favorite. You're so awesome. You're yeah. cool and strong and epic. The entire game is just like, you're the hero. Okay. No one's like, you have to prove it. No, they're just like, yeah, Link's really awesome. Yeah, cool. Whereas most every other Zelda game puts you on this journey of like, everyone thinks you're nothing and that you don't matter. Yeah. And everyone thinks you're silly or you're dressed funny or you're ridiculous. Um, and you are quietly just sort of toiling away with all these other things going on. And like Minna takes away your agency in like the same way the King of Red Lions does and that you're just like in service to her, but it clashes with the fact that you're also treated as this cool, awesome hero. Yeah. So like you are a hero, but you also don't feel like one and you're just kind of being dragged along and not for any reason that, that really coincides with the themes and the way that like your interaction with the King of Red Lions did. So it's like Midna's an effective character. She has lots of character growth. She's charming. She's fun. However, it doesn't really feel like it plays into the larger story in a way that makes as much sense. Yeah. I think that really comes to a head when you see Ganondorf and you're like, yeah, I mean, we knew he was. Yeah. You're like, like whatever. Yeah. Like to, to address the common complaint that comes up, like, no, I think he's fairly like it's, I mean, if you've played Zelda games, it's it's pretty plainly obvious. Yeah, it's being not that much of a bait and switch. And they of the one of the few things that they bother to pace out well, it is how they foreshadow and then eventually finally properly like by Arbiter's Grounds, they straight up say who it is, and then you finally get more clear developments from Xant himself when you meet him at Twilight Palace. So it's yeah. like everything up to it and everything, the handling of Xant, like that was one of the few other things that I was like, you know what? This is okay. Like it was kind of clear from the get-go. That that he carries himself confidently, but it's clear that his desperation for power and his hatred of the royal family were things that made him claw for 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 it in the first place. That when it really came to trying to responsibly maintain and use that power, he was clearly incapable. And it's like, okay, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Yeah, um, same. I just wish Gandorf wasn't so boring. Yeah, I just don't think he's. I just don't really understand who he There's, is as a character. I guess. Because 
Wind Waker without without it even really delving into like because the only information that you get where this takes place out of is you're told it follows after Ocarina, but you're not really specified how. And it's specifically it is after the adult timeline when looking over it because it's it's following a Ganondorf that effectively got what he wanted. It's clear that he's evil, but he had coveted Hyrule because he despised I mean his birthplace effectively because it's I mean, well, the desert's not a great place to live. It's not. Um, but his intentions were still evil at the end of the day in what he was doing because, I mean, yeah, he became the king of evil <laughs> with the Triforce <laughs> of Power. He's not good. So, um, and it, as soon, he basically cracks as soon as um, the Triforce gets taken right from under his hands, which is still a silly point that's kind of justifiably pointed out. But it's more kind of just a small little plot contrivance more than anything. But um, here, we just have a Gandorf who it's like he was making it a point to start you know undermining the kingdom of hyrule by trying to get on good terms with the with the king and then zelda and link which we don't know how but somehow they do they are like yeah ganorf is not good because we've seen the future and a lot of bad stuff happens and then they execute him so twilight princess follows in that time frame I don't know why the sages are the way they are. I didn't question it too much. I was like, I guess they just didn't get personified by anything. I don't understand. So they're just, I don't know. They're just the way they are. Are you saying that this Ganondorf was executed by Link and Zelda in, wait, is this the child timeline one? This Yeah, this follows like some, what, I don't know how long after Majora's Mask, but it's some time frame. So they, so then after they're like, he's going to be bad and then they execute him. And so that's what happens in this game is that he gets executed and he gets sent to the Twilight Realm and then he comes back eventually. Yeah. After they execute him. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know why he appears in the form he does in the Twilight Realm. I'm going to just assume it's the Triforce of Power of which uh, anything regarding the Triforce in this game is horridly contrived to begin with. Doesn't really exist. It doesn't, they were like as weird and as abstract as the Triforce's functions were in previous games. I feel like Wind Waker was still pretty faithfully following with what Ocarina did. And the fact that the the script that comes out of the sage's mouth is like some kind of divine prank. He's suddenly like the <laughs> goddess is bestowed upon him. I'm like, why does, is it because Link and Zelda have it? But why do they have it? Why? Yeah, we don't know. Because they they were just assigned it. Because they just we just spent one game gathering Triforce pieces. Because they're the incarnations or whatever, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. Wind Waker had something really cool going on where it's like, but at least like the other game, at least like Wind Waker had like this whole history of like the hero and the and I guess like in Twilight Princess they don't know a history of the hero because they didn't need to have like that much of a hero, but yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I just they Windmaker had a thing going on where who is Link in this game? <laughs> yeah. Who are his parents? Who is he related to? Like he is such a weirdo in this village. <laughs> I just have so he many no questions. Parents. I don't understand. Like what? It, I don't. No parents, no siblings. It's more clear in Ocarina of Time where this child came from. Yeah, it's very clear that why he's in this. He's not like everyone else. He doesn't have a fairy. His mom came to the forest. She died. Yeah. He was an orphan. I guess his dad was like probably a knight and like died in the war. Yeah. I'm sorry. This game is like 10 years (laughs) newer. Ocarina is 10 years older than this game. And we just, who is he? We know so much about Wind Waker Link. 
He's got a grandma. Yeah. He's got a sister. He grows up on this island. Everybody knows him. It makes sense. Why? Who is like in it, this game? It's weird. Where I don't. It's again. It comes Why down to inefficiency because they do so much to try to bolster the legacy around him and like the or like the place of where he's at and lives one in the community that he has. But it was just like. With, I don't know, like the simplicity of Wind Waker Ocarina with respect to that didn't need that much to just like, it's weird because you think about it and you look back and you're like, it's oh, it's so basic. It's so simple. But like, why? Like you look at Twilight Princess and the more you look at it, you're, the, you're like, you explain all the things that really don't need explanations and you don't extrapolate enough on the things that suddenly without the reasons, the simple reasons that were in place, it now doesn't make any sense. Like, now the nature of the Triforce, it just makes no sense. Now Link's existence makes no sense. He just is there. And no one talks about like, oh, you know, it's been a while since your parents passed or nothing. nothing. No, we don't nothing. get anything. No like idea. if this is a community, you think they would know each other or something. But there's nothing. There are people that are just existing in a state of, yeah, I guess if you put, you know, a couple of parents, a mayor with a daughter and some guy and a ranch owner, I guess you get a village, but like what, <laughs> but you don't get a community. Like, what is this? <laughs> Man, what a statement. You get a village, but you don't get a community. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And I think it's like, you see the same weirdness in Kakariko where it just raises a lot of questions. You're like, okay, the hidden village used to be a thing. Now it's not. Then you have, um, you know, you have like Renato and his daughter. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a shaman. What does that even mean? Sh- shaman? Shaman. Oh, dang it. I blame Metal Gear Solid 1 for that. Oh, what? That, I really shaman. do. I suddenly got inclined, like that ingrained in me that that's the uh, correct pronunciation. I, I, it's also just like weird how the game pops up with like basically Native American characters. I'm, it's a very interesting game world. Um, yeah. But it's like, I need to be here to protect the village what it's you and your daughter what happened <laughs> yeah. to everyone else There's and it's very no unclear here. it's like has this village always been terrible or is it also because of like the shadow beast which Supposedly. only seemed to be <laughs> which only seemed to be like attacking people in that town where it's like oh they attacked people and they turned into monsters but you never see that happen it's just one of those things where it's like but you never see it happen yeah you're like oh it would have been cool it. if you came up on some villagers and they all turned into monsters and kill them. That would be pretty darn dark. Yeah. Well, that'd be a difficult decision. Castle town might be a little more frightening. Yeah. <laughs> if people were just gone out of the streets because of shadow beasts. Yeah. Or like around. hiding or scared because they're scared in Kakariko. So it doesn't make sense that it's, it's things like that. It's just things like that over and over and over again, where you're like, you say this, but you don't show it in any way. If you're going to put me on a straight linear track, put interesting things in that track, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't do that. It doesn't take advantage. It it gives you the same collect three, get Master Sword, collect five as Ocarina, but it just absolutely, you know, forces you, like locks up into all of these things. But it's not, I think that's like why it's so frustrating to me is it's not like it just takes you on a story and you do some dungeons and whatnot. It's like, oh, we're going to collect three, but you're going to do it in this order. So help me God. <laughs> <laughs> um, if <sighs> I, 
I have my main point of comparison uh, to get to, you know, less on the world building story side, but more on just a gameplay side. Um, if you're if you're ready to talk uh, more specifically gameplay, I guess, and what that. Did. Yeah, I I'm about ready. I just I, even just thinking about this, <laughs> the summation of our conversation, it has not. Some of it's been focused on the story. It was weird. Yeah, I didn't that expect that. <laughs> I I was like, even as we've talked about it, like during as playing the game, I'm like, a lot of this is like, yeah, there's a lot of weird contrivances and there's a lot of frustration, but so much of that stems from what they decided this game was going to be focused on. And all of it does is betray its own roots in a lot of ways. And then when it comes to, it's like we have a writing standard that's on the same level of previous Zelda games. And as much as, you know, the characters aren't much for saying anything particularly in depth, but they added it in a specific kind of way because they were designed a certain way. But we're carrying that same mentality into a game that now is trying to get a lot of narrative focus. And it's like, well, your characters are the same degree of depth, which is to say not much. It serviced the other games fine because they were they the way they were designed and meant to fit the world. But now all of a sudden it's like you try to like you're asking me to put a magnifying glass up to the like the overall plot and characters of this game. And I'm like, <laughs> you all like if you're still writing like it's Ocarina of Time and not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Like and but then the result is like the how it affects the game. Like we haven't even talked details because of how much this affects the structure of the game so negatively. And yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to get into the details because there's a lot to be said for that as well, because I think to yeah. a degree that. I can be okay with a story focused game. It's just that it doesn't really take advantage and it doesn't, it, it becomes very predictable and repetitive versus using its sort of bottleneck structure to like force some really interesting ideas. And it feels very, the dungeons and the world feel so separate that it just feels like a series of tasks you must do before you get into a dungeon, followed by a series of tasks. And it never really feels surprising. Getting more into the gameplay like I was talking about earlier. So I, I did a little bit of research, did a little bit of math, uh, baby <laughs> math for me because I'm bad at math. But basically what I did is I looked at all the 3D games we played up to this point and I looked at their concentration of heart pieces, the amount of heart pieces, and then how many of those heart pieces are related to like NPC interaction or like mini games Anything that requires sort of side questing material and isn't just like, I found this on the overworld sort of deal. There are a few that could be sort of borderline. So if you went and did the same experiment, you might get slightly different numbers, but I, I tried to stay as consistent as possible. There were a couple per game that I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I can include that. So I wouldn't include them, but this is what I found. Um, so with Twilight Princess, they added five pieces per heart container. So that means, and you've got eight containers from dungeons. So you get 45 total heart pieces that make up nine containers. So they're less valuable than they used to be. You need more than you did in other games where you would have four. You get two heart pieces per dungeon. So automatically that's 16 just delete them. So you really only have 29 heart pieces outside of dungeons that you can get. Nine of those 29 are related to like NPCs, towns, or mini games. That's 31% of your available heart pieces in the game. Nine of them are related to like 
interacting with people and doing <laughs> side questy stuff. Wind Waker with four pieces of heart per container had 44 total heart pieces. One per dungeon, technically, because each dungeon had a treasure chart that would lead you eventually to a heart piece. So that was six. And then 23 are related <laughs> uh, to sort of that side content. So 60%. Uh, Majora's Mask, big kicker, because there's only four heart containers in dungeons. Uh, so there's yeah. 52 heart pieces and 34 are related to side content, 73%. Ocarina of Time, actually really surprising. So in Ocarina of Time, you get the same number of heart containers from dungeons as you do in Twilight Princess. So that's a pretty apt comparison. Uh, and you have 36 heart pieces to look for compared to Twilight Princess 45. But since none of them are found in dungeons, there's actually more possible ones you can find. And of those 36, you get two in mini dungeons and then 17 related to like NPCs, towns, mini games, whatever. So 50% of your heart pieces are related to like having to talk to people existing in towns. And that, that again, doesn't include some borderline ones like um, the heart piece in Impa's house uh, and the like heart piece in Lon Lon Ranch. Cause technically you just go and find them. You don't have to talk to people. Yeah. But I, I think the biggest thing I found when looking at that and my biggest issue with Twilight Princess is even when you look at Ocarina of Time, anywhere you go and it lets you go out and do them so quickly, there's like hard pieces in these different areas. So like as a child, you can immediately go to Gerudo Valley and get like two by like jumping around with a cuckoo. Yeah. Um, there's different environmental ones where you can plant the magic beans. So you can debate because those are optional items, like what feeling you have on those. But, you know, there's stuff in the graveyard. Like there's stuff in Kakariko Village where you can get multiple heart pieces from just jumping around and exploring. Like they're very, like not just get item, see item thing, do item thing on the overworld, but like go to these places, look around, see a heart piece and like, you know, ride kukos and do things like that a lot mm. of the time. But just... I guess, like, Twilight Princess gave us, like, more, outside of Majora's Mask, like, more potential heart pieces than any of the other games, and immediately just took a huge chunk of them away and put them in dungeons, which I'm not a huge fan of, because it yeah. just makes it predictable. I just, I'm sorry, just nine. <laughs> nine are related to, like, side questy things, and not just, like going into holds or like using the items in Hyrule Field. That's that's everything, every problem I have with the game is really just summed up in that. Because yeah. the interactions you have with people feel hollow. There isn't a lot of interacting to do. There isn't, there's no trading quest really, right? There's not a trading quest. No, no there's, there's not. No trading quest, bugs, get you a wallet. The Malamar quest is fine, but it's just like, there's just not enough of it. And there's yeah. just, there's nothing, when you go back to Ordon, there's nothing for you there. There's just like, you know, you get heart, you get heart pieces from like some mini games. But I don't know, I just found that really, you don't really have meaningful interactions with any people in this game. Yeah. And the environment all the heart pieces feel so obvious and that they're like, oh, there's a hookshot thing here. 
they don't feel like you get to like explore the world and like jump around and discover them. And things that you would think are going to be heart pieces after you went through all that effort to be clever, notice something, and then use your tools to get there, you get 100 rupees instead. And you get heart pieces from things that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I just, that's my biggest <laughs> beef with the game. It just, you know, there's not that much to find. I liked, I liked the Poe quest. And I, as I was playing the HD remake, I was like, wow, I'm surprised. I always thought this was so stupid in the original. <laughs> it is. <laughs> It's better in the HD remake because they give you a Poe lantern. So it lets you know if there are Poe's in the area. And it also has markers on your map to let you know how many there are. The original didn't have that. And you can only hunt them at night. And there's no way to change it to night. You just have to wait. And the days are incredibly long. What? I have no idea what they were thinking. It's the biggest problem with the game. It's crazy to me that there is no... You're a wolf. You can't howl the sun song. (laughs) Hi. I'm sorry. It's it's the one part that I'm going to die on this hill. I I think even by people who love the game, pretty much it will continually acknowledge that it's one of the biggest flaws in it. It's it's kind of ridiculous. I don't know why... (laughs) Like, not having an instrument is fine, because it's, whatever, it's tradition. I don't really have a problem with it. We talked about Wind Waker and how the Wind Waker was, eh, it's fine. But not having a means of changing daytime when you've included a kind of organic ability to call Epona at any given point, and you can't do the same <laughs> with fine, any, any method, it wouldn't even have to work in, like, a magical way where the time would just fly. It's just... I don't know. It'd just be a way to set up. Hey, you're, we're gonna transition into daytime now or nighttime. There's, there's not. There's. I don't. I have no I'm idea. I'm gonna start playing the hypothetical game. Imagine that first off, there were say refugees or something throughout Hyrule Field, and it was designed differently, and there were actually people there or something, and so there were. I don't know. There was human interaction to be had on Hyrule Field. Imagine. If you wanted to change the time, you could sleep at houses or you got a campsite like item from somebody. And so then wherever you were, you could camp and you could camp on Hyrule Field and you could sleep and you could change it from day to night. Or just do anything in the world that made it more interesting. I am starting to describe ideas that do show up in the series, but they could have shown up here. There are ways to get around this. There are ways to, there are uh, just, there are ways to integrate into the world and you just don't see it here. And I, I don't know to what degree their choices and to what degree it's a technological limitation. Yeah. But there's opportunity here. It's just so in between the middle of things. It wants to be the story focused game, but it also, it cannot truly be that much bigger and more interesting than Ocarina of Time, other than from like a surface level sort of aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. So it's just sort of, it's not, they don't have enough power to make it a true open world. So it's just a big box. Big box. Big box. If you like cardboard boxes, (laughs) made this one a little bigger. Uh, yeah, the side, the side content thing, like I would be more okay with this game if through all the suffering we have to put up with and deal with and go through, 
in the first half of this game and for all the monotony of the second half, if the side contact, if there was just more of it and if it was integrated better would be the two biggest things. I mean, man, even just thinking about when you mentioned the whole going into houses to rest, I'm like, there's like barely any houses you go into this game where there's just people. You're right. Oh, I have a question. Do you know the goat guy? Fado? Mm -hmm. His house in Orden? Yeah. Can you ever get into it? No, I don't think so. I remember I kept trying. trying. I tried at night. I tried in the morning. I went back multiple times and I was like, wait a second. Can you, you just, not get into his house? I just don't think you ever get into that well, house for oh some gosh. reason. If you want something that bothers me about the day-night cycle. that <laughs> I went to Orton and I was like, oh, let me see like what people are doing at night. And I'll talk to them. All their doors, all of their doors are locked at night. Oh. You can't talk to them at night. It's okay. just there's nothing to do there at night. Well, Everyone's gone. I just it's things like that that are like really frustrating. Yeah, it's like that's like oops, we uh ran out of depth time, so we'll just um shortcut here, I guess. And uh man. There just isn't that feeling that people are living lives in the way that the other games achieve in a better way. There's just like yeah. the day night cycle doesn't really do anything other than limit you. It, there's just that like there's that loss of sort of depth and liveliness yeah. and what we what do we get in the process a half big story that could have been interesting yeah that's, that's so it. it's like ah. what was the trade-off at least from a pure zelda point standpoint it could have been why more are worthwhile. all the doors locked everywhere at night <laughs> like if we could have had more side content in the first half of the game even just small things and then if just in the second half if made like well if you spread thin the content that's available as soon as you hit the second half it, it's gonna feel sparse but it really is like Oh, cool. I get to do like two or three hours of stuff and then I'm back to like 15 hours. It really, I was thinking like four or five dungeons, this will blow by pretty quickly. No, it's like 10 to 15 hours of gameplay. It's pure dungeons and which it wouldn't be the worst if the dungeons weren't structured mostly the same to each other. And weren't so predictable. Well, and what's like really frustrating about the dungeons is that the game has potential and it just doesn't realize it. You get excited. You're like, oh my gosh, I get to go to the desert. I get to see a whole new area in this huge game. Yeah. But it feels so disconnected because you have to take a cannon there. And you can't, there's no way to get back without warping. I don't like that. (laughs) There's nothing to do there. Like once you're done, it's just like, there's no people there. If you're like, oh, cool. Like, I think that was my other thing that happened this game back when I was a kid. I was like, I get to see the Gerudos. This is going to be so cool. I can't wait to go to like Gerudo Valley and stuff and see how they did it. And you get there and there's no people. There's no people. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. And it's the same thing with Snowhead. You're like, oh, wow. Like they finally added a snow area. We get to go to these mountains. It's going to be so cool. And it's just a dungeon. You slide yeah. down a mini game to a dungeon and there's two Yetis there. And it's compelling enough to see yeah. them there, but literally their it's, house it's exists one of the better ones. at the end of a slide. Yeah. And there's nothing else there for you. And um, why you're is like, oh, I get to go back here? in time. This is going to be so cool. Maybe I'll see. No, you will not. <laughs> no, no, you're going to go into get, the dungeon. You'll you're get a blast go... of nostalgia. And then it's gone. And then it's gone. And then you, then you have a lousy dungeon to do. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with City in the Sky. Oh, cool. I'm going to go see where the Okos live. And like maybe there will be some other things to do in this. And you go and 
there's a shop with nothing of value and two <laughs> Okos you can talk to. And when you go into the dungeon, you can't talk to them at all. And you just fly around with them like they're cuckoos. They're just ugly yeah. cuckoos. That's all they are. <laughs> and when you beat the dungeon, you're like, oh, I wonder if their city will be back to normal. No, it's still a dungeon. It's still a dungeon. So it's like, it's just stuff like that where it's like, oh, this is going to be so cool. And they're just... There's no consequences for nothing. Yeah, it's not like you get to see new areas. You just get blasted into this tiny area and then you do a dungeon. And so it's just really disappointing. Yeah. It's like, it's, I don't know. I guess that's like why I get so bitter about the game is it just feels like it's undercutting itself constantly. You're like, oh, this you, would be so cool. I wonder you kinda how, just, and then it's gone. Yeah, you kind of just know, like it's weird Like for all the set dressing. You go to for the Twilight the, Palace and you rescue the Twilight people and then all they do is just... Just moan at you. And make you yeah, don't, don't even do talk anything. to you. You don't even get to talk to them. You're not like, hey, I saved you. You're not a monster anymore. They just they're just they just are zombies. You're like, oh wow, yeah. man, I see why you're so attached to these people. They're really lively and interesting. <laughs> yeah. That it just to- the game does it again and again and again. It puts really cool, interesting dungeon concepts and like makes the dungeons a part of the world, but it's like they forgot to build the world around the dungeons. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Paprika's uh, uh, graveyard has less going on than Ocarina of Times did. Yeah, it, it's, it's there's nothing happening. There's nothing. The one there's really cool game. thing I found in the game, <laughs> maybe my favorite little sequence, was I actually beat the game and then was uh, reading about it, watching some videos, and someone mentioned the hidden uh, graveyard in Hyrule Castle, and I had noticed a locked door and thought about the key, but I thought, oh well, maybe. I will come back to that after I beat a boss and then we have to go through that door. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I went back through and I had no idea that this graveyard existed. I wasn't paying attention enough to my map because I think at that point when you reach it, you assume, oh, I'll, I'll, that area will be unlocked later. It's not something I can get to right now. Yeah. Um, so I went and I explored it and I did the puzzle and you got the creepy zombies, which by the way, whenever you hit your senses and you see like those dead soldiers, that is so cool. I wish the game did that more. Yeah. That's like the most successful wolf thing. It's legitimately creepy. It is so cool. It hurts my heart that you don't see that until so until like Hyrule Castle because it's really, really cool. Because the game doesn't even like hint at the fact that like, yeah, you see spirits, but what about spirits of the dead? And yeah, it's like, I think there's so much more opportunity for that. And it just uh, like would have been really cool if that had shown up more and it doesn't man i haven't even did, like really even don't like dive into how <laughs> like wolf. just wolf link's yeah, existence just, like, forgot that it existed I, it's it's easy to forget about because it's just a nothing part of the game it i used it really it's just like a missed opportunity it has cool ideas and you just don't really get to use it and it's a bummer but i i don't know i thought that was cool and you have the sequence that makes you like oh they're like staring at the hero's grave and it feels like you kind of get to learn a little bit about the history of Hyrule and like solve these puzzles and it's cool and it's not mandatory at all, which I'm mixed on that. Like, Oh cool. There's something optional here at the same time. It's one of the most effective things the game does. You could miss it. I have no idea it's <laughs> yeah. there. Oh yeah. Miss it very easily too. Extremely easily. I was trying to case the place for everything and I did not know that that was a thing. And so it's just like, <sighs> It's just things like that that are so frustrating. Yeah. It's just missed, I don't know, misplaced priorities. I just don't, it's the thing when I read the interview and I'm still like, I still don't know what, like, it seems like 
everyone was on board and see it wasn't like there was a tumultuous development where like oh we don't really know what we're doing like part of me wants to theorize that maybe the rejection of Wim Waker at the time by like the, the popular community that at least allowed majority at least at that point at the time or loud minority I don't know just people were you know definitely objecting to it that maybe when they because they put so much heart into Wim Waker even though they had to rush it unfortunately I wonder how much of that like kind of struck them and they're like okay well this was a Zelda game for sure but like people didn't like it on because of surface level things and well some parts of the sailing in the original that were definitely a problem so it's like well we'll just create the thing that looks like the Zelda game people want I guess but like that's not really evident in the interviews I mean you could maybe uh, maybe look at Anuma's like I want to make Link a wolf thing and be like okay does anyone else have any other better ideas and, no okay <laughs> and just be like okay why what <laughs> is this is this really that's just how they all like got around the table and Anuma's like I really want Link to be a wolf and he was like anyone got anything else and like nope all right Link's nope. a wolf <laughs> Link's a wolf now let's frame the story reason for why he's a wolf and that's why the story is half baked I don't know but then the wolf mechanic is half baked so what I don't understand let's, I don't get it let's talk I, about wolf combat because it will drive into my other point about Link's combat which is that I don't combat. like it um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it just feels very heavy and unresponsive to me it feels yeah. like there's an emphasis on the weight versus how it actually feels to hit and I think it has less depth to me than Wind Waker's because they give you all these moves but since they make them optional they can't really force you to use any of them. Yeah. So it's not really fun because <laughs> there's no reason really to make them optional. I mean, it would be very annoying if the game stopped and was like, you're learning a new move. So I like get that, but also just like it makes combat less interesting. And then on the flip side of that, on the wolf, your wolf never gets to learn any new moves. And nope. like- doesn't get to learn a finishing move, but still knocks enemies down for them to be invincible, waiting for your finishing move. I just stuff like that where it's like, what? The game's rated T. It's fantasy monsters. We could have done it. Just like, do it on pose. Gosh, I would find like pretty violent looking. Wolf Link, if he had like more stuff to do and had like a kill move, that would be cool. But like, I would I don't love to kill those stupid bulbins with yeah. the with the finishing blow with Wolf Link. I would have yeah. done it constantly. And I just, I, I really. I, I don't really, I didn't find a lot of the enemy encounters to be very fulfilling in this game. I just, no. I enjoyed Wind Waker's sort of mob rushing interactivity with each other, the weapons and that they grab each other's weapons and that you would steal spoils from them. So you wanted to make sure to like grab things from them before you killed them, which added another layer of strategy to like make sure you got everything off everyone. And in this game, it's just like the game throws two dark nets at you, and I'm just like, I hate. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm it's like, cool. like not meant to. This isn't work. fun. I found fighting uh, dark nets in this game very miserable. I don't enjoy it. I don't really understand what they're weak. I don't really understand. Literally, my only strategy with them would be to like lock onto them, wait for them to try to hit me, backflip, and uh, jump attack. Yep. And then once they lost their armor, uh, I kind of just ran around without Z targeting them and then just like tried to hit them every now and then. After that, yeah. like 
run around to try to bait them into attacking me, dodge, wait for them to do the long strike, and then start hitting them. So it was literally just like a process of like waiting for something to attack me so I can move out of the way and then hit it. Because you couldn't actually really, at least in my experience, I had no luck like shield bashing them and trying to helm split them. Nope. I had no luck parrying. I was like, what am I supposed to do? They they can just be certain attacks. They'll they can it'll stun them and then you can hit them. I guess. And it just felt so repetitive. And it's just uh, like, oh, I don't. I really hated fighting them. I just didn't yeah. think it was very fun. Like, uh, like especially well because the most direct comparison really is Wind Waker. It's it really is the simplicity of the enemies do pretty plain like plainly done communicated things and when you can hit them is very plain and obvious whether it's the parry or specifically the fact that they're not going to be guarding themselves when they're attacking so you can hit them pretty easily and they also don't necessarily track you when they're trying to do their attacks either so you can get like a good sense to like move around them in certain ways and then add that with then you have two or three of the same or even different enemies and now you, it's still very abundantly clearly communicated as to what the nature of their attacks is going to be. You just now have to count for a bunch more. And the choice to parry, as simple as it could be that you could just fight a single enemy by parrying, parrying a single enemy by parrying them to death. And you could. It'd be very boring. But you could do it and it'd be easy. Um, when you have multiple together, all of a sudden the choice to parry is a positional problem of... I could put myself in a terrible position and then get whomped by the next enemy who's coming up. And there's just, there's a lot of smart little things that they do that make the combat go by really quickly. Like you knock down a moblin, like you, mo you knock down a moblin or a dark nut. And the thing is when they get up, they have just enough of a respite timer, like a kind of invincibility timer. Like for one moblins, you never want to be near them when they get up because they will <laughs> whomp you halfway across the room. And I still think it's the funniest thing in the world. Because they punch so fast. And then uh, Dark Nuts, it's not so much that they'll hit you. They, they just come up with the, their martial arts strikes, which I think are the funniest thing with their tiny limbs. But they'll, they'll hit you like right away. So they have ways of keeping you away. And yet you still have ways you can counterattack that if you decide to back off and then retaliate with like your items. Now, items. <laughs> now, that's something else that Twilight Princess is seriously lacking on is when turn when it comes to combat options. What happened? Like why all the dynamic interactions? There was no consideration. Like yeah, the, like part of me wanted to try to implement the ball and chain, and it was just a futile effort. I was like, but I want this thing to be fun. Like the skull hammer, the skull hammer and windmaker ultimately might not be any more useful than the sword. Might be even arguably a little bit less. But it's still fun to hit with, and then it has the unique property of smashing frozen enemies which gives it a unique cohesion with ice arrows, which is great because ice arrows are already freaking awesome in that game. So it's just weird to go from that and to be like, it's all purely sword combat, except the sword skills aren't mandatory, except for finishing blow. And the finishing blow is probably one of the worst parts contributing factors to the combat when it comes to knocking enemies down is the game has effectively solved a problem that it created, which is to say, yeah. don't you just hate it when you knock an enemy down and you can't really, like, you can't you can't do anything, you know, to them? And it's like, well, now you have the finishing blow. But in order to give you the space and time needed to do the finishing blow, an enemy will now sit on the ground for four seconds before they get up. And yeah. It's like, 
What? So don't fight them in wolf form. So don't. Because <laughs> you'll be yeah, born to deers. Then you can't do anything. But then the damage system then coincides even further that it's dealt in a way that for one, like doing jump attacks is now not great, which totally stinks because in Wind Waker with its mob mentality of enemies coming at you, a jump attack or a spin attack is a great way to get enemies off of you. But here it's just a time waster. And yeah, what I mean by the damage system not making sense, it seems like the game is convinced that the best thing for the player to do is to go and finish the four hit combo every single time for for maximum damage and that will kill the enemy but if you're like well two normal swings it's one damage each that's two damage jump attack two damage jump attack till it kills tektite in one hit so two slashes equals death no that's wrong actually a four hit combo will kill a tektite but three individual slashes won't a fourth individual slash i don't think does either but jump attack one shots them and this is all over the place there's yeah, some enemies it's very that confusing i always found tektites I, fighting tektites to be very boring because it felt like it just took too many hits to kill them i don't know why the game is so convinced that like the idea of interesting combat is you do a four hit combo where you mash the same button and i, the I just mashed the i just didn't even think about I actually lost at like the very end of Cave of Ordeals because I'd just been so conditioned by the game to just not even think about combat that I would just take damage and go, whatever, who cares? Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, I'm not fine and I'm dying. You're playing hero mode, so you can't. You're not actually fine. Oh, I wasn't playing hero uh. mode. I was playing straight normal. Oh, you were? Yeah, because oh, I thought hero mode makes the game better. So I was like, it's not fair to play. That's not fair to make the well, game it, in, in some say, sense. Well, yeah. shout out to hero mode. The time that I, I did play it, I don't know, when I started a playthrough of Hero Mode years ago before Breath of the Wild came out. And I was like, oh, this makes it so much more fun because I'm actually having to pay attention and not just get hit all the time. Yeah. Uh, and these dungeons are endurance treks and that's fun. But I did not do that this time because I thought that it's not what the game was designed for. So, alas. Yeah. I'm I not just... sure. After playing the Cave of Ordeals, though, I don't think I would ever want to endure that on Hero Mode because it's no. just annoying. Like the ice it's enemies, not... and it's just oh, I, I just didn't. I didn't want to go back and do it again because I was like, oh, that was just annoying. Yeah. Oh, I just I'm want to yell about the Cave of Ordeals, <laughs> but I was gonna <laughs> yell about something else, which was oh. uh oh, just that my 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 strategy. I, I never used the magic armor in other playthroughs, but this time I did because I just didn't give a crap. So uh, <laughs> what I would do is I would get full health and I would want to protect it so you could have your super strong spin attack. And so yeah. in like pretty much all of Hyrule Castle, pretty much my only approach to combat outside of like with Dark Notes was like put on the magic armor and spin attack. <laughs> Tells everything. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, cool, so got good. full health. Let me put on my armor and spin attack. The Cave of Ordeals really bothered me because... You get to fight the floors, and then the fairy tells you, well, you better have this next item. And then you get to fight the floors, and she's like, you better have this next item. And if you don't, then you got to do it all over again. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I guess they wanted to extrapolate on what Wind Waker did. Except, well, so I guess... I'm sorry, if that's your MO, you should just make each floor super hard and then let you warp down to the next one. Yeah. But I thought... And this was stupid of me. I should have known better. But I got the ball and chain. I thought, oh, okay, cool. I know the next items that, or I know the next items like the Dominion Rod. 
or maybe I'd gotten the Dominion Rod and then I knew the next item was the double claw shot. And I was like, well, you, there's no double claw shot specific enemies. So the game isn't gonna gatekeep me because uh, you don't need to use these to fight enemies. And then the game <laughs> gate kept me and I was like, you idiot. <laughs> so I went all the way down to the very last like section and then had to do it all over again. Uh, and then I lost at the end. And so I did not finish the Cape of Ordeals. Yeah. I just, if the if Wind Waker's Savage Labyrinth was indicative of like how strong the combat is when enemies are together more, for Twilight Princess, it's like the opposite case. Where it's annoying. Having three Dark Nuts together, like having the parry maneuver is a really big boon that it's like in like when you're confronted with the four dark nuts at the end of wind waker's trial the the thing is yeah you really don't have many options but the parry is what's going to start opening up and you have to pick and choose your opportunities but you also have to sit in range without your shield up because that's otherwise the parry doesn't show the, the actual parry action doesn't show up so there's a very specific nature that you have to specifically be in range to bait the dark nuts into attacking you and then you can parry, but you want to be mindful of which parry you end up having to react and, and uh, use. Well, only because you can react only with the specific one based on the attack type, because it could put you in a bad... I mean, either way, it's going to be kind of tough business. But once you start opening up the fight, then you can start slowly trying to, you know, improve your positioning with them by like trying to get them put off, of course, until you take their armor off and then they're charging you. And then it's just a, it's kind of chaotic, but it's fun. But like Twilight Princess is just like the, w the whole thing I was trying to do was just drag them around because they're all so slow and then specifically get one in a way that I could just do my backflip jump attack strategy on them until I got them, you know, all with their armor off. And then I'm like, oh, this is terrible because I really can't even open up because if I jump attack, at the group of them, most of them are going to jump away and then retaliate with the stab, the thrust that has like infinite range. And then I'll hit the one guy and I might open him up. But I'm like, I have no choice but to just eat damage trying to get these guys to open up. Or it's like when they're together in armor, it's like I'm just doing a boring strategy. And or even just the one example you're talking about with the the Dark Knot with the two uh, arrow falls, where it's like all I was really doing was just kiting the Dark Knight around and fighting one of them and specifically just trying to do as much as I could to get him dead. And that was still, it's just like, this isn't fun. Like I, like even fighting Arrow Falls, like is just a waiting game of just like, all right, they're floating. All right. How's it long? Five, six seconds. Okay. Now they're putting up their shield and I hope I'm at an angle where my claw shot will actually aim up and hit them because <laughs> I've run into that too. And it's just, ah, like, the no item use you can't snipe them out of the air to force them into ground combat like i understand you don't want to devolve things quickly but the enemy design has specifically been almost built like well bomb airs are overpowered so now we just have to make enemies basically resist most items except the one they're specifically weak to and it's like that's so boring yeah except for stalfos which immediately melt to bomb arrows in a they, <laughs> yeah, they're just, pathetic oh they're ridiculous and then reeds which used to be just immune to everything which i mean was kind of questionable in major in ocarina through wim waker but the point was to force you to have to deal with them in this game it's like ball and chain or two bomb arrows and they die and that's yeah it. i really don't like them in this game i just don't or, really i don't really think they're scary i just think they're just kind of annoying no. It's like whatever oh you're, uh, you're just annoying <laughs> yeah also the only skill that i really liked and got pretty regular use out of for the most part except when the game decided to misread my inputs as a role which was really annoying 
was the mortal draw. That's what I did to a lot of stuff. Was just mortal I always druid. forget that it exists. And then I forgot the second most annoying addition to this game <laughs> in combat is I'm like, okay, I'm going to put my sword away to mortal draw. And Link is like, you know, this is a good time to flourish after killing yes. this enemy. I'm like, are I you love kidding the me? Oh, oh my gosh. The game in a nutshell. It's like, you what, we double may cry. We're going to style on our enemies now. But then you sit there for three seconds, which is far too long. <laughs> for a flourish and then you get bopped by the next enemy and the other thing is if you decide to cancel it like you're mashing you have to wait till near the end of the animation but then he doesn't even put his sword away and it's like okay just so Why? much of this game feels like they were like this is what people want right this is what yeah. people like in a zelda game i think people want to look cool people, and these fights look so neat and hey it was really a winner cool with a lot of people it was it looked neat dark nuts <laughs> designs look awesome and the artwork for them was like wow this is so cool oh i can't wait and then you play it and you're like <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I, oof, we've, we've railed on this game a lot. Do we? Yeah. I don't Trying know. to be fair early on. And I think on the broad spectrum, there are aspects that I'm like, dang, this game could have made more of what it was trying to do, but you get in the details of like playing it and like combat. I always just want the combat to be over with. I don't like it. I just, I, I think if you got into the series later, you might enjoy this more. And you might play something like Ocarina of Time and go, oh, this is like old and small and like not interesting. And so like I can see that. But I and that was a conversation I was having with myself a lot. And that was something that always used to offend me about this game was that people would be like, oh, it's there's more to do than Ocarina. We get in these contests of like, oh, there's this many heart pieces and these things to do and the world's bigger and, the, you know, there's nothing in Hyrule Field and Ocarina of Time. And I think playing it and really thinking about it. There are certain things that are definitely more sophisticated in this game, but I also just think in my heart of hearts that the integration between like the environment, the story, and the optional content in Ocarina was just more successful. I just, that's what I ultimately still believe is like the thing that I enjoy about that game that makes it fun to me is feeling like I have the freedom to revisit all these places and explore. And usually you're rewarded. Like people say different things. Something has changed. Like it's worth talking to people. You see, you get to have these, there's not that many characters. And so you get to know them. Like it's a very compact world. So you get to have an affection for it. It You can see every place from where you're at on the map and it all feels very interconnected. Is it realistic? No, but it feels... As a game world, I still think up to this point, Ocarina of Time's game world feels more, most cohesive to me as something that is actually wrapped up in like Hyrule as a singular place. And we talked about this in Majora's episode and I said that, that Termina in its own areas felt more realistic, but that in connection to the rest of the world in Clocktown, the relationship in space felt more abstract than Ocarina of Time. Whereas in Ocarina of, Ocarina of Time's world, it felt like Lon Lon Ranch really was just 100 yards away from Hyrule Castle. And that's just like life for these people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and here in Twilight Princess, it's like it. It doesn't feel like a true realized world because I know that the world is not connected through hallways. And it feels like all these people are very distant from each other. And it's not it's just not coordinated in that same way. And you don't get to see things ahead of time in the way that yeah. you did in Ocarina. So I just still think that like that game shows you, it shows its hand so much so early, but it's still enjoyable to like 
go back and explore because then you get to have the joy of seeing everything and then going back and revisiting it. Yeah. And it's just really iconic and memorable. And like, of course it's iconic and memorable to me because it was like the first Zelda game I ever played. So I don't want to like say, oh, it was like so revolutionary. But I just, I think like it's more fun. <laughs> you get to start playing a Zelda game a lot earlier. And I just think like, you got this in Wind Waker and you like have gotten this, but it feels really codified now that they were like, oh, you should start in a little village and then you should hit Hyrule Field and all these things should happen. And it's like, no, Ocarina of Time didn't do that because it was like, this is how it has to be. Link to the Past let you out of your house and you immediately go off into the story section and in the rain and all this stuff. And that's all to say that this sort of start in a village, go off in an adventure it's not a thing that has to exist. It doesn't have to like be this way. Like Ocarina yeah. of Time put you in this closed off area because it was the first time in a 3D game and they were like trying to make sure that you didn't like jump off a ledge and kill yourself. They were like, here's how <laughs> the game works. Like, don't go anywhere. It really confined you to those areas for a reason. And I just think that like the following games have taken that to be like, this is how a Zelda game is. And it's like, no. No, no you don't have to do that no <laughs> it it's not the thing that made ocarina ocarina wasn't spending 10 hours in kokiri forest and then going into hyrule field that's not what a yeah. zelda game is the thing that made ocarina ocarina was you got out into hyrule field and you could go to lan Ron ranch you could go to lake hylia hylia you could go to gerudo valley you could go to kakariko village you could go at least see the beginning of zora's domain like you could go climb duff mountain once you got the thing from zelda you had all these places you could go. You could go yeah. back into Kokiri Forest if you wanted. You could go to the Lost Woods. You could go wherever you wanted to go. Whether or not it was useful to you, whatever. But you could go do it. You yeah. know? And like, you just had the freedom to actually do so. Yeah, you had the freedom to go look around and like poke around. And here it's like all of that is sort of taken away. And the world is designed in a way in which it has to be. Otherwise, it makes yeah. no sense. So Yeah. <laughs> and it still makes no sense. <laughs> it still makes no sense. <laughs> it still makes no sense. It's so, ah. So I've used inefficient, but I think the ultimate thing is, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it with incompetence, because it's not like they make these horrible, little, terrible choices. It's just more so misguided. It just, uh, yes. it feels like what they've done in lieu of their focus has not so much derailed, but like ultimately has completely lost the point of what has made Zelda not so much stories, but their worlds connect with players so much. And that's by and large because the story and the world are interlinked in the way that they are designed and entailed. And it's kind of a miracle that they come together, especially looking at Majora's Mask and Wind Waker. It really is kind of a wonder that they both hit as hard as they do. And Majora's Mask probably did a lot more work to account. Well, that's not necessarily true. They both really do in their own sense. But there's just seemed like there's like seemed to be this like idea. I don't know if it was a Lord of the Rings inspiration that came alongside it. Shoot, now I kind of want to wonder those, when those movies came out and how much that must have influenced things uh, too. Early, but early mid two thousands. It. I'm. I almost wonder, especially when it comes to catering to Western audiences, how much that might have affected things. But yeah, I mean, this game was very explicitly catered to Western audiences. Yeah, it just, um, it was I like, don't know. This game like, is like an apology for like Wind Waker. <laughs> yeah, which sucks. Which sucks. Uh, you know, and honestly, I could have gotten over like the art direction and the, some of the problems that come with it if just like we got like a Zelda game. 
Yeah. At the end of the day, if we got a game that meant to, like, sure, we maybe get a little, like, a bit more tightly focused, like, linear game than the previous three. And I'd be like, yeah, that's kind of a bummer. And, but I would have been like, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. But, like, when you get to actually do the stuff you want to do, it's great. And that's just, that's just it is that portion of when you get to do the stuff that you are allowed to, like, you want to do, you just, you get there for just a little bit and that's it. That's all you get. And, um, yeah. it just, I, I don't understand. <laughs> Like they were there in the developer interviews, they were discussing of like what you know what is a Zelda game, and I'm understanding that sometimes there's some turmoil and trial that comes with figuring that out. But it just seems like a weird, especially with Miyamoto playing some part in like maybe he wasn't. I don't know if he was actually on. St- well, maybe he was in some capacity, but it definitely wasn't as big of a leading role uh, this time around. But like you know, he's he's like the fun police over here in terms of like what's actually fun, what actually helps the player get to know what they're doing. And it's so like weird that despite how much he was so active in development here, at least with trying to like get on people about design and everything, that I don't know where the idea of a two-hour opening <laughs> was lost on him at some point. I don't understand <laughs> that this was what we wanted to do in order to incorporate the player into the world and introduce them to the world. They're, 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 the whole mantra just seemed to be like, imagine how big it felt when you left Kokiri Forest. Imagine if you were there even longer and it was bigger. It's like, how you're gonna be like, you're gonna leave Hyrule Finn and you're gonna be like, wow, this game is so big. I can't believe that took all that time to get to the first dungeon. But really you're just exhausted. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of superficial. Like, all the padding is what's going to make the game feel big. And that's the whole thing. Like, going back to Ocarina and even the Link the Past is what made them feel, if we're going to use the word epic, but, like, in a true sense of it, is they weren't, like, striving to do that. They just presented themselves in a way that really made the field player feel like they were part of something huge. And and then and then they actually, you know, they did. You, you were thrown into a big world, and you did a lot of big things, and... Twilight Princess really never hits that stride. It just constantly disappoints you. And then by the time you have the full world available to you, you're just exploring <laughs> completely disconnected areas yeah. that have nothing to do with it. And it's just like it, nothing nothing comes full circle. Nothing really centers around anything. And you're just doing Zelda things in a world that doesn't it has nothing to do with Zelda. It's so bizarre. Well, that's a really positive note to transition maybe into what we remember the most oh boy um oh i guess i can try to start uh it's gonna be the first three dungeons uh, but not not for any good reason really no i just the game when it lets off the guardrails and it becomes a zelda game i really enjoyed it and that was just not enough time for me and okay i guess it's uh, it's good to point out some people are dungeon people and some people are like everything else people in Zelda. And so I think hardcore dungeon people really enjoy this game. It's like also why I had a hard time with Link to the Past. But weirdly enjoy Ocarina of Time despite the, the huge same, dungeon yeah. slog. I don't really know why that is. I think it's just like, I don't know, enough side quests and nothing ever feels too big or unwieldy that you can't get through it. Yeah. Um. And I don't hate any of the dungeons like I do. <laughs> the last two here, well, the last mere shard dungeons, because then there's two more. It's like, oh, maybe that's. The ah, I can't is. believe that. It still drives me crazy. There's so many dungeons. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but 
I just have had to play those three dungeons so many times and it just, it kills the beginning of the game for me. Like when I yeah. played those first three dungeons, I was like, finally the game's gonna open up and then lost my save data way back in the day. <laughs> I was just not motivated. I was like, why do I wanna go do that again? It's the same thing every time. There's no different decision to make. Yeah. There's no, oh, I'll breeze through this and maybe I'll go. No, there is nothing. You just do the game. You do what the game tells you to do. You go through it. You collect the tears. You get bored to tears. You go through Goron Mines. You do Lake Bed. You get bored again. It's like, what? It's work. Is it worth it? I don't. <laughs> is it enjoyable to replay? Not really. <laughs> No. <laughs> I just it's just so long. They're just so big. Like the forest temple. It's just like none of it is very difficult, but it's all just so long. Uh so yeah, I've really I've played the first three dungeons of this game like now like eight or nine times, and I have played the last few dungeons through twice. Because crazy I just quit. I just don't want I just I start playing it and I go, oh yeah. And then it just feels like it beats you into submission and it, it made choices. So I don't hmm. know. I just, I feel that I feel bad that that's what I remember that. Most. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I've, I've, I've been thinking about why I wanted to mention Twilight Palace and at least how it's a glimmer of, I think the game leaning into its more interesting elements could have been. Uh, but at the same time, it's like the game collectively fails to really, you know, really close in on its characters enough and its elements that I don't know. I don't know if I'd want more of that, but I don't know. Every time I think about it, especially coming to the end of the game, I was just like, man, this is just one big gray blob of not mediocrity, not so much gray as in generic or anything like that. Just like, I don't know, it all just... The first half was borderline infuriating and the second half kind of just washed that all out with like a just kind of feeling a yeah there could have been a lot more with this and I don't know ah, I want to say nicer things. It's like the first half is so long and so linear and then the second half it just feels like they ran out of time so it's like your reward for like the linear slog it's like Final Fantasy 13-esque of like the game really opens up yeah it does and then what? And then what and then does it what? do with it? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. not much. And so it just feels like... Without even having played 13, I don't... I, yeah, I've just seen... Put I've... Twilight Princess as a better game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it really, yeah, it is kind of... Well, kinda... and like we've said this, we've Ugh. said that we don't really think it's a great Zelda game, but we think it's a really solid game. Like, it's yeah. well made. It's. I, I see it's why true. people like it. It's just, it just so has... It doesn't have the things that I look for in a Zelda game. Yeah. It just, and this story yeah. wasn't worthwhile. It could have been. I still, I'm still hooked on that idea of the way you proposed of, of Link going to the castle like firsthand and then getting to experience something. I, I don't know. I that feel compelled by so that idea. Cool. It sounds really like, not to jump into hypotheticals, I just think like if we were going to rump the story, I just think it's kind of a shame that it's just not integrated in a way that you really get to take a part of it, like a part in it. And then the world actually starts to connect more into it. And I just think that's the biggest bummer. And I hate trying to do on what we remember the most, but that's just it. Like, it's just so easy for it to kind of slip out of my mind. Like I want there to be more depth to it. And just, I remember bits of you just talking to that, that Goron who's like, 
So well, yeah, it seems, seems like you're one of the only ones that notices it. I'm like, why is this? The developers like actively acknowledged like how little effect that the circumstances of the world have have on the effect of the people in it. Yeah, there's a Gorin up on the whatever when you climb all those towers, and when the diamond appears, he's like, "Yeah, we're the only people who see that diamond. Why? It, why?" And then one of and then one of the guys in your band of friends is like. Have you seen the state of Hyrule Castle? And it's like, well, I how do you see it? There's no explanation. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It just ah I saw it. Okay, you know what? Here we go. I not partially joking, but I'm rolling with this. Uh, I remember the iron boots. And <laughs> that's because of one of the few items that somehow gets the most inventive, most extensive use in the entire game. And I don't know if Anuma lost a bet. Or if he somehow feels really bad about Ocarina still. But they really did everything they could with the most abstract, strange piece of equipment, which is to say boots with some heavy weights on them. <laughs> and they did a bunch of stuff with it. And that's neat. And I <laughs> Unfortunately, they're really, really slow. They are yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. So when I you like are the cheat code. On the ceiling. <laughs> I like the cheat code that allows you to run fast with them. That was really fun. Yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) That was really, really fun. Oh, I just, I'm so sorry. You say something positive and I'm like, but. But, and just, ah, I I see that. And I'm like, man, they, they had the capacity to carry a lot of these items from front to back. And they did it with the iron boots of all things. (laughs) Which is kind of an amazing feat within itself, and yet everything else just gets neglected. And I don't understand what I I still it still bewilders me. Like the development of Wind Waker, like yeah, the, like the things have a logical progression as to where certain things started from. But I don't understand even with the influence of the Western audience, I don't understand where everything came from. And this game bewilders me with that. And maybe that's what I remember the most is this not. This, this whole game, but in the weird, broader sense of, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Yes. Uh. I don't get it. That's basically how I feel about it. I just, I don't. And you know what? In a way, I wish I did because yeah, I, it, I love Zelda games. It's not like I want to die on this hill of like, I hate this one Zelda game and I get to talk about it and be mad about it. But it's just a bummer. Yeah. Because I would love to have another Zelda game that I loved. And I can't wait to look like an absolute idiot next episode when i well we'll see we'll see how i feel about it when i talk about how i like skyward sword i i feel like it doesn't make any sense yeah we're probably gonna be we're probably probably gonna stay about the same we're probably gonna fight about skyward sword you're gonna be like we might we did when it first came out a little bit you were like i hate these things and i was like oh but it's cool it's fun (laughs) so i'm gonna come back and maybe it's Maybe it's just like that's it with this game. Is like it it the dark, the faux darkness doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, and I'm gonna just go ahead and turn around on everything I say in the next game. So I'll try to stay consistent. Yeah, but we'll we'll get some more clarity on that because it's been for me. It's only been since I finished that hero playthrough that was since the game came out. I think that I've played the game. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. So uh, really Twilight Princess, you coulda, and even with the art style that I could, I could have my issues with. I think there could have been at least a lot of interesting stuff, but it's what it is. It is what it is.
next episode, we take flight with Skyward Sword. Is it a legend waiting to be rediscovered? Or a story best left forgotten? Next time on A Retro Perspective.